This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. An action-packed show for you today. Now, I had hoped this hour that we were going to be able to get uh, Frankie Valley on, but uh, he was not available today. Uh, I am hoping that we can do it tomorrow. So if that's the case, then we may end up, uh, then we may end up uh, altering our schedule for Friday. We usually do Ask Frank Anything in the first hour, so Frankie Valley is able to join us in the first hour, then uh, we may push Ask Frank Anything back to the 2 o'clock hour tomorrow. But uh, I'll keep you posted on that. Just monitor my social media where we'll be promoting all that stuff. Now, in terms of uh, today's show, let me tell you what we have going on. Thursday, it is the day that we do the AC report. That's coming up at 3.30. We'll tell you what's happening in Atlantic City. Additionally, uh, we are going to talk about Russia and Ukraine in about 20 minutes with uh, Joshua Schifrinson. He is a real bright guy when it comes to foreign policy. But first, I have to bring uh, this story to your attention. Maybe you've seen it already. Uh, Well, actually, let me give you a word of warning if you're in the New York area. Be careful driving in this fog. I was driving here in this fog a couple hours ago. It is bad. And apparently it's going to be bad as long uh, for the next few hours. Be careful, especially on the bridges. Uh, Drive slowly because I was stunned at how little visibility there is with this fog. So just be careful. Now, I saw this story uh, a few hours ago, and um, I was just totally disgusted by this. Now, I don't know if you've seen this game show the um, the masked singer. I've never seen it, but I always thought that it, it looks like one of the shows that I would really enjoy. I saw the I saw the the, the promos. I think when it first started, because I used to watch the Orville when that was on Fox, uh, which is kind of a science fiction show with um, Seth MacFarlane as the captain. It's kind of a, a comedic version of Star Trek. I, I think it's really well done. I enjoyed it. But I would see the promos, and it looked like exactly the kind of show that I would watch. It looks like just fun, mindless entertainment. But uh, my wife and I would watch the Oroville together, and she would see the promos, and she wasn't interested in watching it. So there are so few hours that we have to watch television, and there's only a handful of shows that I'm going to watch without her. I'm not going to waste my time on a show that – will be completely unproductive for me in any in any purpose. I, I have so many ways of wasting my time. So I never watched an episode of The Masked Singer, but I could tell by the promos that it would be exactly the kind of show that I would watch. If you're not familiar with it, the way this singer works, it's a singing competition. And there are judges, there are fans, there are hosts, and the people singing are masked celebrities. And then when one of them gets voted off, one of these masked singers, then you then they're revealed to be a celebrity. And it's kind of cool. They have uh, most a lot of these are uh, sort of people that younger folks know. 
I don't necessarily know all these celebrities because I'm not as attuned to pop culture. Some of them I do know. Uh, last year, I think they had uh, Sarah Palin as one of the masked uh, masked celebrities. They've had people like uh, Larry the Cable Guy. They've had people like uh, Honey Boo Boo. I think Jewel was one of these masked singers. Uh, so some I know, some I don't know. I was really amazed at the article that I read a few hours ago. The newest season of The Masked Singer, which airs on Fox, it hasn't even aired yet, but it's already causing a great deal of controversy because of an unmasking that takes place during the first episode. So the season seven premiere is upcoming it is set to premiere March 9th. And you know who was one of the first contestants to depart the show and then hence be unmasked? And again, if you're a fan of the show and you don't want it spoiled for you, then, um, you know, I, you know, then tune out. I'll give you a 10-second warning. But was Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani was revealed as one of the first contestants to depart the show. And that then led to two of the show's judges, Robin Thicke, who's Alan Thicke's son, and Robin Thicke is a singer in his own right, and Ken Zhuang, Ken Jung, I think is his name, who's an Asian comedian. He's an Asian-American comedian, probably best known for the TV show, the, the film The Hangover, he plays uh, Chow in The Hangover, but he's in a bunch of films. And he, they left the stage in protest. Two of the show's judges, Robin Thicke and Ken Jung, left the stage in protest because, uh, I mean, again, I haven't seen the show, but we're led to believe in this deadline article that they left the show because they didn't want to be on stage at the same time as Rudy Giuliani. So while those two judges, Robin Thicke and Ken Jeong, uh, left the stage, two other judges, Jenny McCarthy and Nicole Scherzinger, Nicole Scherzinger, I think, is from the Pussycat Dolls, they stayed put and talked with the mayor like civilized human beings do. To me, I found this absolutely outrageous. Now, just as I didn't real I don't really think it's worth getting too upset about what some dopey TV commentator says. I find a, huff, a a tough time getting too worked up over what the judges on a a singing competition say or do. I mean, honestly, who cares what Robin Thicke does? Who cares what Ken Jeong does? I mean, really what, what None of what they do affects me. But I do have to say that Rudy Giuliani is an incredible person. Now, if you look at the crime miracle that took place in this city, it is nothing short of extraordinary. Nothing short of extraordinary. And uh, it really is... If you don't want to say it's solely due to Rudy Giuliani, it is substantially due to Rudy Giuliani. And if you New York would be unrecognizable 
but for the work that Rudy Giuliani did in the 1990s. That aside, his work reducing crime, his work doing all sorts of other great things here in New York City in the 1990s. Forget about all that. Then, and and by the way, I'm not even mentioning his work as a U.S. attorney, which I'm actually critical of some of the things that he did as a U.S. attorney. I think he went a little too far in certain prosecutions. But he did, as a U.S. attorney and as a, a deputy attorney general, did a lot of things that he was celebrated around the country for. I think he went a bit too far, to be honest, in some areas. But we'll, we'll save the issue of Rudy Giuliani's prosecutorial legacy for another day. There's no doubt about what he did as mayor, as far as I can tell. You cannot have eyes and think that Rudy did not transform this city. Then, let's say you don't care about that. His work on September 11th, was extraordinary. You want to talk about leadership? You want to talk about setting a shining example for the world of what a leader of a city in crisis does? Rudy Giuliani did that in the aftermath of September 11th. Did he make some mistakes? Absolutely. I'm yet to meet a leader of anything that hasn't made some mistakes. But in terms of real leadership at a time of crisis, Rudy Giuliani is amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, you then look at um, the rest of the last 20 years, and I guess the reason that Robin Thicke and Ken Jeong uh, chose to leave the stage in protest was because Rudy Giuliani supported Donald Trump and was Donald Trump's lawyer and has been one of the people pushing this idea that the 2020 election was stolen. I get that you don't agree with it, but nobody's asking you to endorse Rudy Rudy Giuliani's comments. No one's asking you to endorse his advocacy on behalf of Donald Trump. No one's asking you to endorse the legal work that he's done for Trump. Let me tell you, Rudy Giuliani has had his law license suspended in New York without a hearing. Something that I don't know has ever happened to any attorney in New York, uh, let alone any former U.S. attorney of the Southern District. Without a hearing, got his law license suspended. He has had the FBI raid his home. His He can't even practice law, something that he's been doing since his 20s. He I don't know this, but I think he probably has a tough time financially because of all the legal bills that he's been forced to shoulder just because he was Donald Trump's lawyer. And, by the way, Donald Trump has raised 120-something million dollars, raised a whole bunch of money for his political operation, raised a whole bunch of money to, you know, for the uh, Stop the Steal operation. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think he's given any of that money to Rudy Giuliani to pay his legal bills which I find very disappointing about Donald Trump. And I'll be honest, it makes me think a little less of Donald Trump. But whatever price that Rudy Giuliani should have to pay for his association with Donald Trump, for his claim that the election was stolen, he's paid it. He has paid it. And for these two entertainers who uh, 
make people laugh, make people happy with their singing or with their jokes or with their acting. For these two entertainers to actually leave the stage in protest and refuse to be on the stage with somebody like Rudy Giuliani, to me, I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. I feel like this is just nuts. And then you look at the people that are leaving. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a person that, uh, that uh, immediately says that any guy that's accused of sexual misconduct or sexual assault should immediately be canceled. I'm absolutely not. But Robin Thicke, in that video that he did uh, for Blurred Lines, which, by the way, turns out was mostly stolen. They stole the song. But aside from stealing the song from another brilliant artist, in her book, the, you know the video, the Blurred Lines video? The woman that's naked in that video, Emily Ratajkowski, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, she claims that Robin Thicke groped her breasts like crazy while they were filming that video and that he was drunk in the process of groping her breasts. Now, th- and again, I'm a big fan of Alan Thicke. I uh, had the opportunity to interview Alan Thicke before he died. I thought he was just great. And you know of my fondness for game show hosts. Alan Thicke was very good with a lot of game shows. So uh, I have nothing against Robin Thicke, or at least I didn't until yesterday. But Robin Thicke wants to leave the stage in protest of Rudy Giuliani where there's credible accusations that he's groping supermodels bare breasts drunkenly. I mean, what planet am I on where a guy like Robin Thicke gets to pass judgment on someone like Rudy Giuliani, who was literally knighted for his incredible leadership. Now, again, you don't like Rudy Giuliani. I don't care. You don't want to listen to his show. I don't care. You don't want to vote for him for something. Fine. You don't want to, uh, you know, agree with him politically. Makes no difference to me. But for you to leave the stage in protest, that's almost the kind of thing you do for a, a neo-Nazi or a, uh, a child molester. Oh, I can't even be seen on the same stage. And to me, it says a lot about Robin Thicke and Ken Jeong. Um, I'd love to hear your reaction. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. I think this is just outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. I always liked Ken Jung. I think he's a doctor as well. And um, there was one incident where he actually jumped off of the stage uh, where he was performing to save someone in the audience. So I always liked him. Uh, and my opinion of him has gone down a couple of notches after this. You know what? I mean, no one's saying when Rudy Giuliani comes on stage, you have to embrace his views on election stealing or on uh tax reform or on broken windows policing. It's a stupid game show. It's a stupid singing show. So you mean to tell me then that when uh, other people, other celebrities get on there that are unmasked and you don't leave the stage, that you're implicitly endorsing all of their conduct? Because I have a feeling there's a lot of celebrities that have been unmasked that uh, probably have similar views to Rudy Giuliani. You want to talk about a little views that are a little out there 
let's look at Sarah Palin. Again, nothing against Sarah Palin. I don't want to pick on her. But um, did they leave the stage when Sarah Palin was unmasked? How about Larry the Cable Guy? How about a lot of these other people that were unmasked? Did they leave the stage when any of these people were unmasked? This strikes me as – I find this so – I don't even like to use the word offensive because I feel like people are offended by everything these days. I find this offensive. This is the kind of thing that people do to be the toast of their cocktail party. Oh, you're a big man. You really stood up. You really stood up for fair elections by walking off the stage when Rudy Giuliani was there. I'd love to know what the contract is for their show. I'm sure they're getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode, uh, maybe more. For each episode of this show to be on there, is there a clause in their contract that allows them to leave the stage in protest? There have been people here at this radio station that have been guests on shows that I don't particularly care for. You didn't see me storming off, refusing to be in the same room as somebody because this is my job. It's my job to be on the radio for four hours and hopefully... Uh, be somewhat informative, somewhat entertaining. And yet these people don't seem to have that same sort of feeling of responsibility. 800-848-WABC. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about this article in Deadline. Deadline is uh, basically an entertainment publication that, um, that these two judges on this show, The Masked Singer, which I've never seen, have stormed off and they, because Rudy Giuliani was unmasked as the singer. Your reaction, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC for open line. So I don't want to hear that you couldn't get through. Michael is in Ridgewood. Hello, Michael. Hello, Frank. Uh, The people that jumped off, that uh, walked out, they wouldn't know a ballad from a folk song from any normal music. Gershwin, uh, Irving Berlin. In fact, Irving Berlin, being Jewish, wrote some fine music. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Look, I'm not here to critique uh Robin Thicke's musical knowledge or Ken Jeong's musical knowledge. But I I just am very frustrated by what they did here and that um, that they thought that this was okay. Or they uh, they're basically playing to the cheap seats. And I have a big problem with it. And I would say the same thing, by the way, if it was somebody that I don't want. I mean, I don't know who I really dislike. Uh, um, You know, Chris Cuomo, if Chris Cuomo was unmasked. As the celebrity or Don Lemon was unmasked as the celebrity or Adam Schiff. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't I would say the same thing. You shouldn't storm off the stage because you don't want to be seen with uh, with with Adam Schiff or Al Sharpton or Don Lemon. It's your job. You're there to be on a dopey TV show where celebrities wear masks and sing. You can't even do that. I I mean, it just makes me so angry. I'm I'm not going to spend more than a few minutes on it, but when I saw that article, it was all that I could think about for a few hours. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Jeff is in West Islip. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Frank. 
seems Hollywood still has TBS, huh? Even though he's not president anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just asked your screener. I said, you know, if I called and he didn't like me and he walked out, would he still have a job? Well, you know what? I, by the way, and this is not a right or left thing. I said the same thing on Newsmax. Uh, well, no, I said it on the radio. But on Newsmax TV, they had that anchor, Bob Sellers, get up and storm off when Mike Lindell was going on a rant about election fraud. Now, that you could almost understand because he felt like he couldn't get a word in Edwards. But I thought that was terrible. You can't just leave your show because you don't like who's on there. They still have a job? That's a good question. I I, I would love to know that. Are they welcomed back for episode two? Are they docked their pay for the episode that they walked out on? My fear is that because of this deadline article and because I'm talking about it, I'm sure a dozen shows will talk about it today, um, they're going to get even more publicity and there'll be even more demand for to be judges on shows like this. Oh, well, maybe it'll get suspended for two weeks. Yeah, well. <laughs> getting thrown in jail like uh, the rest of us. Well, you never know, Jeff. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Mary's in Brooklyn. Hello, Mary. Yes, hi. Hi. Uh, we don't like that show anyway. It's really not good. It's just a copy. They're trying to copy something else that is good. So why even worry about it? People are pretty stupid to watch that dumb show. All right. Well, I, I guess then I'm stupid to comment on it. That's the best I could. Uh, that's the best I could say. Alan is in Bergen County. Hello. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I got to tell you that uh, I'm a former assistant to William Safrier at the New York Times, and I was assigned to um, interview General von Choltitz, who was uh, the Nazi general in charge of Paris during World War II. However, uh, there are a lot of things about the way he handled Paris that I didn't like, but it's a job. You have to be objective. Uh, These two guys are just very immature, frankly, Frank. Well, that's my view, and I think it's worse than immaturity. I think it's immaturity coupled with grandstanding. Absolutely, and when you take into consideration what Rudy Giuliani did at the time of 9-11, to me, that uh, outplays uh, any kind of negativity that these guys can actually come up with. I Agreed, Alan. Thank you. And again— Let's say you don't like Rudy Giuliani. Does that give you a right to walk off your show? You are being paid to entertain the viewers of this show and to do a job. Do you get is there a clause that allows you to walk off if you don't like who's unmasked as the celebrity? I mean, to me, I find this outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. 800 848 Two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi, Frank. I'm surprised that Mayor Giuliani would even show up on that program. Well, I'm not. I mean, I mean Rudy, and um, I, I know you have spoken with him on the radio a few times, yeah. but I've gotten to know him a little bit, and uh, the guy has a good sense of humor. He's a performer. Yes, he is a little bit of a ham, and I don't know. You know, if they paid him for this, they probably gave him some money. And, you know, I think he viewed it as a fun thing. He's done stuff like that throughout his whole career, even when he was mayor. So I'm not surprised uh, that that he did it. You're right. He does have a good sense of humor. But those idiots that walked off the stage, I mean, 
they should be suspended from their show, just like uh, Whoopi Goldberg yeah. was suspended from her program. Again, I, I don't like to call for people to be suspended, but if they didn't do their job, if this doesn't get you fired, what does? At the very least, they shouldn't be paid for that show. And I'd love to see, I mean, look, Fox probably is not going to say much about this until the show airs, if at all. But um, I would love to see Fox's justification if they keep these people and continue to pay them. Love to see it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. I just want to say I agree with you totally, 110%. Your reasoning, your rationales, right on target. And I want to bring up the Neil Young and Joni Mitchell thing when they tried to get Joe Rogan canceled from uh, Spotify. That this cancel culture nonsense. It, it really isn't. It's horrible. It's horrible what they did to Rudy Giuliani, and it, it's just, it's just rotten. It, it's. It's narcissistic. I mean, who died and appointed them God? Like you said, they should have just sat there and, you know, you can talk to the guy and be civil with him. And uh, you don't have to approve or agree with his politics on Trump uh, or or the election uh, stealing. And and I I just find it extremely uh, reprehensible and distasteful. I agree with you. And that's basically all I have to say. Well, uh, thank you, Charlie. Appreciate that. And, brother, you're welcome to disagree. I'm not looking for a chorus of people agreeing. In fact, in general, I actually prefer callers that disagree because sometimes I learn from you and sometimes it causes me to rethink my own positions on different things. Uh, so I actually prefer, we'll actually put you to the front of the line if you if you disagree. I, I hate that kind of style of talk radio where I say, I point my finger at something and say, oh, isn't that outrageous? And then 10 people, 15 people all call in and say, oh, you're so right, you're so right. I like to be challenged. I, I like to, um, you know, uh, I like to debate uh, politely, you know, civilly and, uh, you know, without personal attacks, but I like to be challenged. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, it was only a taping. So, I don't number one, I don't think it will make the air. And if it does, I think they would just cut the whole Rudy thing out and make like it never happened before. Because I would be. I don't think, would, would Rudy really redo it? Would he do a double take on, on that? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think they're going to take it out. I, I, I can't imagine for the season premiere, their big reveal, I don't think they're going to uh, uh, to take this out. I don't. I would be very surprised. I don't know, Frank. You know, I always thought of you being on the show with like a, a cheese wedge. Thinking, <laughs> oh, no, I ain't tired yet. Have you seen that show? I, I've seen it. And to be honest with you, and this is the God's honest truth, Frank, 99% of the people, when they take their masks off, I don't know who they well, are. Well, I just looked through the list of celebrities, and that was the case for me as well. I didn't know most of them either. But is the is the show good? It looks like it is good. Or maybe that's just clever editing. I don't watch it for the singing. I watch it to look at the call surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the show's worth watching, if that's the case. For me, it is. Yeah, thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Robert is in Westchester. Hello, Robert. Hi, good morning. So from what you said about the show, and don't know anything about it, but the example of what they said was it's the hate that they had in their heart for Rudy Giuliani and what Giuliani represented from the past that had nothing to do with the show at hand and the time at hand. And it, to me, it only shows 
that they should not be judges if they're going to be partial like that. Well, clearly, clearly, absolutely, Robert. That's my view. All right, we're going to talk Russia with uh, Joshua Schifrinson straight ahead. Uh, He is a real expert when it comes to foreign policy. It's a conversation that you are not going to want to miss. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. WABC. You're hearing things. You're hearing things. On 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We've been covering this situation in Eastern Europe since the beginning, although the challenge often can be determining when the beginning began. So we have been monitoring these developments as it, it becomes increasingly likely, at least based on some reports, that there is going to be some sort of an armed conflict between Russia and Ukraine, and it will somehow involve the United States, possibly in providing lethal aid to Ukraine, possibly in in providing financial support, certainly in providing diplomatic cover. Uh, President Biden, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, they've made clear that they're not going to tolerate any incursion by Vladimir Putin and the Russians into eastern Ukraine. What does that mean? What does not tolerating an incursion into Ukraine actually look like? And how are America's interests served? Well, somebody who is one of the best thinkers on foreign policy around happens to be Joshua Schifrinson. He's an associate professor at Boston University and author of the book Rising Titans, Falling Giants, How Great Powers Exploit Power Shifts. Josh, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks for having me, Frank. So uh, before we get to the Russia-Ukraine situation, tell me briefly uh, about your book, Rising Titans, Falling Giants. What's it all about? I haven't had the opportunity to read it. Sure. Thanks for uh, plugging it. You know, it's a book that examines how great powers, when they begin growing in economic and military strength, countries like China or Russia today, think about dealing with other countries that they're gaining on, you know, countries like the United States today. And by looking at history and using some theory, I make the argument that a lot really depends on whether those states think they can use that declining country, that relatively declining country, to compete against other challenges that they face. I and the more they need that, and so they, the more they need that state as an ally, uh, the more likely they are to be cooperative. So, give me an example of uh, a state that was in a, a conflict that became sort of sure. a, a global chess piece, and then maybe one that didn't become a global chess piece. Absolutely, it's a wonderful question. So, you know, we often think about Great Britain today as as America's natural ally, but that wasn't always the case, right? And so, looking back at history. I find that the United States really became close with Great Britain, not out of any sense of common heritage or common tradition, but really to get after the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Now, conversely, the U.S. really went about kicking the Soviet Union in the teeth at the end of the Cold War, because in that time frame, the U.S. was growing, uh, the Soviet Union was falling apart, and there was no other challenger around that the U.S. needed the Soviet Union's help with. 
Wow. Uh, it sounds like a fascinating book. I'm going to try and order a copy today. And if people want to do the same, again, it's called Rising Titans, Falling Giants. All right. Let's talk about this Russia situation. I am trying to figure out what the story is in terms of uh, a likelihood of invasion. You have the United States, which seems to be very clear that an invasion is imminent. You have Ukraine, which says that an invasion is not imminent. And they seem to sort of publicly admonish President Biden a few days ago for saying that an invasion was imminent. Israel apparently saying an invasion is not imminent. And Vladimir Putin saying he doesn't want to invade. What do you see as the likelihood of a Russian invasion into Ukraine at this point, Josh? Well, well, so it's a really wonderful question. I want to step back for half a second, though. And I want to distinguish between a Russian invasion of Ukraine from other kinds of Russian activity against Ukraine, things like cyber attacks or hacking or special operators, right? And and so I think it's very, very likely we're going to see some kind of Russian aggrandizement, some kind of Russian aggression, cyber attacks, for example, against Ukraine. In terms of of a Russian attack or outright Russian military invasion like Iraq against Kuwait back in the Gulf War, uh, I I, I think we're probably above 50%. 50-50. Okay. Well, those are better odds than you have at the uh, roulette wheel. So hopefully things work out as they should. What has, uh, I hope so, too. What has diplomacy – how has diplomacy been working out between the United States and Russia, between the Ukrainian government and Russia? Have these diplomatic talks produced anything fruitful? Well, the fact that they're still talking tells me that they haven't been unhelpful, right? We, we've had several rounds of negotiations now. Obviously, the Ukraine-Russian conversations have really not gotten anywhere. We know this because Putin wants to talk to the United States directly. And as for the United States-Russian conversations, look, they've had several rounds of diplomacy. Uh, it seems like they that all parties want to continue meeting. But, of course, the United States, we just had the leaked uh, U.S. response to some Russian demands made public uh, just today. And the U.S. has been more open in trying to meet Russian concerns than the rest of the NATO alliance. So some of the European allies are actually slowing uh, the process down, taking a harder line than the United States is. So the fact that they're still talking is optimistic, but I think we're heading towards a problematic outcome. We've heard a great deal about sanctions over the years. We've had sanctions on Russia really since the annexation of Crimea eight years ago. Now, uh, President Biden saying if Vladimir Putin violates Ukraine's border, we're going to see even greater sanctions. Do you think sanctions have been effective? Do you think further sanctions would be effective? Uh, no and no, and let me let me unpack that a little bit. No, sanctions have not been terribly effective because at the end of the day, the Russians care an awful lot about Ukraine, and they've thought about whether they care about being slapped in the face economically and politically, diplomatically, and they decided not so much. And for that very reason, going forward, sanctions are not going to be a big response because the Russians have very vocally said Ukraine is a red line for us. It's kind of like Cuba was the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so economic sanctions and beyond, you know, may may sting a little bit. But at the end of the day, these are big, important issues to Moscow. And the threat just isn't commensurate with the interest. Well, so then, look, the Biden team, whatever people think about them, 
they are experienced foreign policy hands. You have Joe Biden, who, in addition to being vice president for eight years, served for years on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. You have uh, Tony Blinken and others uh, that are making decisions about foreign policy that have a lot of experience in this regard. Why, given what you seem to describe as the very obvious failure of sanctions, would that be the first arrow that the Biden administration looks to fire towards Russia? It's a really great question. And I I agree with you that the Biden team is pretty much the A team on this, the deeply experienced team. I think what's going on here is Biden and his, his advisors have concluded that Ukraine, while it's a vital interest to Moscow, it just isn't a vital interest for the United States. And so the U.S. has to do something, and that something is sanctions. But the, it's not worth American time, energy, treasure, perhaps blood, to really go much beyond that. Hmm. It's, just a, it's just the nature of the, bane, uh, of the game. So what can America really do? At this point, Mm -hmm. let's say Vladimir Putin is determined to go into eastern Ukraine. What are America's options that might be effective if sanctions isn't? Well, so I I think there are two things that the United States can do. And actually, they don't really help Ukraine per se. What the U.S. can do, number one, is work with its NATO allies to really remilitarize the NATO alliance, a process that's been ongoing for about a decade now. It would probably kick into high gear if Russia went into Ukraine. The idea being there to say to Russia, hey, look, you just did this terrible thing. Any further aggression is going to be stopped hard and fast where NATO stops hard and fast. And, you know, closely related to that is to remind Russia what what, what it would uh, benefit from from getting out of Ukraine, those conditions, offering the olive branch, not as a threat, but as an inducement to you know, change its course on the back end. Vladimir Putin said yesterday that he thinks that the United States and the West are trying to goad Russia into a conflict, basically goad Russia into a right. war. Based on your view of the situation, what's your take on, on that? Do you think Vladimir Putin has a point? Uh, I, don't, I don't think he has a point, but I, I actually took that as a very optimistic signal. Because if you think about it, what, what Putin's saying to those conditions is, hey, look, I don't want a war, and I'm trying to create maneuvering room so I look smart if I don't give a war. It's almost Putin giving himself breathing room not to do anything aggressive for the time being. Again, giving time for that diplomacy uh, to continue. One of the things that we have heard a great deal about, one of the key Russian demands has been stopping NATO expansion in general Mm -hmm. along Russia's borders and stopping Ukraine from joining NATO specifically. One of the questions that the critics of a conflict with Russia, people on the right like uh, Tucker Carlson and Pat Buchanan, people on the left like Katrina Vanden Heuvel and Tulsi Gabbard, one of the things that they've been saying is what does America really gain by this continuous expansion of Russia, excuse me, of NATO? Let me ask you that question. What does America gain by pushing for countries like Estonia, Montenegro and even Ukraine to join NATO? Well, I, I should be clear here. I have been critical of NATO enlargement as it's played out since the 1990s. But to answer your, your question directly, look, the United States gets more allies and therefore more, more diplomatic leverage, and it solidifies the group of countries that are validly anti-Moscow at this point. So it kind of cloaks itself in more legitimacy and creates a broader community of like-minded countries. 
the question I think we need to talk about, though, is whether the risks that the United States runs and the costs the United States runs for that privilege uh, really nets out in the United States' favor. Uh, there was a very heated meeting of the U.N. Security Council Monday, and the U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said that uh, there's ample evidence to suggest that Russia intends to expand its presence of troops in Belarus to 30,000 troops. There's probably, according to her, about 8,000 troops there now. And a lot of people believe that that could be basically a first step in a march towards Ukraine. Is that a yes. concern? Uh, do you believe that this Russian troop buildup, not only uh, in, in eastern Russia, but in Belarus, right. is an opportunity for trouble? Yes, I do. It's basically contributing to Ukraine's encirclement, which will require Ukraine to divide its actually fairly limited military forces along multiple front, uh, multiple front, excuse me. And it ensures that Kiev comes under sustained pressure because even if Russia pulls back some troops from its own border, as long as it keeps troops in Belarus, the pressure on Kiev is going to sustain itself. So this is a real problem if, I, if I'm sitting in, in Kiev. The Pentagon has placed 8,500 U.S. troops on heightened preparedness to deploy to NATO countries in Eastern Europe. And then just a, a little while ago, it looks like uh, it, it's a lot more than readiness. It looks like some troops have actually been deployed to uh, President Biden ordering nearly 3,000 troops to Eastern Europe right. to counter Russia. What are 3,000 or 8,500 American troops going to do? against 100,000 Russian troops? Very, very little. Uh, in fact, this is a mostly symbolic gesture. Uh, not necessarily wrong, but mostly symbolic. You know, the U.S. Uh, and its NATO allies have had troops in Eastern Europe as tripwire forces, meaning that if Russia were to, God forbid, come over the border, some of those troops would be fighting, some of them would die. And at that point, we can imagine what American and European public opinion would say. It would say, keep fighting, escalate further. And so the U.S. has tripwire forces. These additional forces that President Biden ordered uh, deployed today add more tripwire forces, but they don't change the fundamental picture. They're not going to fight the Russian army, as you just alluded to. So it's symbolic in a way. Has it been the right move, uh, in your view, under both the Biden and Trump administration to provide continuous military aid to Ukraine as they're fighting these Russian-backed separatists and as they're gearing up for a possible conflict with Russia. Russia certainly doesn't seem to think it was the right move. So I, I think we need to distinguish between uh, the quantity of aid. I think the U.S. was right to provide Kiev with limited kinds of defensive armaments. Of course, under the Trump administration and now the early part of the Biden administration, American aid has really escalated further. And I think this has been really problematic because uh, if you're sitting in Moscow, you're asking yourself the question, where, well, where would this aid go in the future? Is it going to get more? Is it going to involve weapons that can hurt me if I'm sitting in Moscow? And so if I'm sitting in Moscow, I've seen this steady trickle, growing trickle of American aid, and I have to ask myself the question where it's going in the, in the future. 
So I think the U.S. has walked a fine line, and I think it may have uh, stepped over the line a bit. We're talking with Joshua Schifrinson. He's an associate professor at Boston University and author of the book Rising Titans, Falling Giants, How Great Powers Exploit Power Shifts. Josh, yesterday the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, said at a press conference, quote, this is not going to be a war of Ukraine and Russia. This is going to be a European war, a fully-fledged war. Do you agree with that? Do you think uh, President Zelensky is right in his magnitude of how bad uh, this sort of a conflict would be? Well, I, I, I certainly hope not. I think President Zelensky is trying to uh, swagger a little bit, suggest to Russia what he hopes will happen. I think the European allies and the European Union itself, countries like Germany, countries like France, have been pretty clear in saying they don't want to fight for Ukraine. So I think he might be overstepping a little bit. Of course, if Russia does invade Ukraine, uh, war tends to have its own dynamics. It could escalate further. But I think all countries in Europe really want to avoid uh, further escalation if they can. Some of the so more, I think he's wrong. Some of the more hawkish elements of both parties and some of the more hawkish elements of the foreign policy establishment in general, they're of the belief that the best way to deal with Russia is through strength, through uh, standing up to Vladimir Putin, who a lot of people have described at varying times as a bully or a thug, and that to do otherwise, to uh, to back off, would basically be a, a Chamberlain level of appeasement. W- what's your take? Is there any merit to the hawkish view that the best way to deal with Putin is to stand up to him? Look, he is a thug and he is a brute, so we should be clear about this. But at the end of the day, uh, Russia is a weak country. It's pretty far removed from the core of Europe anymore. It's not the former Soviet Union materially or politically. Uh, And the U.S. has bigger fish to fry in China, in the Middle East, in some cases at home. So I, I think the hawkish position is understandable. I think it's respectable. But I think at the end of the, end of the day, and at the end of the day, it does not service American national interests. And I think, frankly, we've been trying the hawkish approach for the last eight years, and it simply contributed mm. to further problems. So, you know, if we're going to use Einstein's definition of insanity of doing <laughs> the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome, uh, I, 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 I do not think this is a road we should be going down. We've heard a great deal about China and how this escalation of tension with Russia could actually drive Russia closer to China, which could be problematic for the United States. How real of a concern do you think that is? And is there a pro- is there a possibility that should this this develop into an armed conflict that our support of Zelensky and Ukraine could drive Russia closer to China? Oh, I think that's a very real concern. We've already we've seen the deepening of the Russo-Chinese relationship over the last two decades. And just this week at the U.N. Security Council, we saw China really speak up in Russia's defense. But you often see China taking a far more restrained view in U.N. UN Security Council meetings. So I think we're already seeing uh, these problems manifest. And look, if we're talking about a sustained U.S. standoff, NATO standoff with Russia, Russia is going to need economic support. It's going to need uh, military support. And China is well positioned to provide that. So I think the more the U.S. escalates with Russia and NATO escalates with Russia, the more we deepen this uh, Russo-Chinese alignment that the U.S. should be really worried about and, frankly, trying to uh, at least keep them apart. 
from where you're standing examining this situation, what do you think the best realistic scenario is to get out of this for the United States? And what do you think the worst case scenario is for us right now? Well, so I, I, I think the best case option is the United States telling Moscow repeatedly and working with NATO allies like Germany and France uh, quietly to basically say to Moscow, look, we can't formally promise you that Ukraine is not coming into NATO, but we're all going to wink and nod and basically tell you that this is not happening anytime soon. You can provide a very long-term moratorium and in turn strike a deal to neutralize Ukraine, to Finlandize Ukraine, to make it a part of the world where neither Russia nor the United States will formally have an alliance. That, I think, is the best outcome for the United States and about the best outcome for Ukraine. The worst-case scenario, though, is the United States telling Russia that we are going to not only keep NATO's door open to Ukraine, but that we are going to do that independent, irrespective of what Russia does, kind of backing Russia into a corner. And so I think uh, under those conditions, we're likely to see Russia invade Ukraine, as you, as you raised at the outset. And I think there's a real risk under those conditions that Russia may not stop until it reaches Kiev, at which point the U.S. and its NATO allies might feel real pressure to uh, get involved, to punish Putin, as you allude to. Certainly hawks would be calling for that. So I could see this really escalating to very dark places, very bad places, mm. even though no one wants it. And yeah. I'll just add one other point here. We have to remember – Russia is a nuclear armed power. We need to remember what nuclear weapons are. You know, well, no one's really talking about this, but the prospect of a U.S.-Russian clash, intentional or otherwise, uh, really can go very dangerous places. And sometimes states lose control over how militaries operate. So I think we need to be talking very forthrightly about the real risks here and asking the question, is a potential conflict with Russia over Ukraine really worth even a 1%, even a 0.1% chance of a nuclear war. Now, uh, that is certainly something we're going to be keeping an eye on. Josh, thanks so much for joining us on the radio. I hope we can do this again soon. My pleasure. Call me anytime. Appreciate it. And a big shout-out to uh, Joshua Schifferson's father, who was listening in New Jersey. Happy to have one extra listener today. Hopefully he makes this a habit. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Moreno. the other side of midnight on 77 wabc i'm frank moreno uh open phone lines now if you want to jump on board we'll be able to get you right on 800-848-9222 that's 1-800-848-wabc so yesterday 
uh, my wife and I, well, you could follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Had you been doing that, you would have seen a very cute photo of my son that I posted along with this caption. Uh, And again, this was very tongue in cheek, but it was much to the chagrin of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, writing Rachel. That's my wife's Twitter handle. Writing Rachel and I will be taking this guy to get vaccinated today. And then we subsequently did that. We took him to get vaccinated. You know, lo and behold, the amount of um, reaction to this tweet was extraordinary. Uh, people just, again, uh, I, I know that people on Twitter are, are mean. I never expected this level of vitriol. Uh, and you could see what some of the people were retweeting. Oh, this guy's an idiot. Uh, this guy, you know, uh, the people actually saying it was child abuse. And I did the same thing on Facebook. You can look at Facebook.com slash Morano fan and then see some of the comments that uh, that people have. But if you want to see something a little bit more upbeat on Twitter, we tweeted um, uh, from the 77 WABC Twitter accounts at 77 WABC Radio some images of Wilbert Mora, Officer Wilbert Mora, the police officer that was killed and laid to rest yesterday, uh, the, the incredible depiction of his image over the American flag in Times Square. Beautiful tribute. You can see a short video of it that now has over 10,000 views. It's on the WABC Twitter at 77 WABC Radio. And then uh, it links to a poll question on WABCRadio.com. Not much of a question, though. The question is, will you honor Officer Wilbert Mora? Now, I'm not sure how anybody could answer no. I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own ways of honoring uh, Wilbert Mora, but that's the question. So if you want to vote on the poll question or see the video, you can go to the WABC Twitter at 77 WABC Radio. I've also twi- um, tweeted about it from my Twitter at uh, f- at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. That's uh, Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Now, um, we also have a Facebook group that you can join. And uh, just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. Coming up at 3.30, we're going to talk with Mark Berman. Mark Berman is a friend of mine. He's an Atlantic City resident and a video podcaster. We're going to do the AC report with him. And uh, he he has, uh, you know, he's somebody that tells the, the whole truth. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And uh, we're going to find out what he has to say about what's happening in Atlantic City and uh, and beyond. Uh, as a podcaster, I'll get his take on the whole Spotify debate, which is only heating up even more. Meantime, if you want to comment on anything we've covered, you can do so 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And in the meantime, until next hour, in the, word of, in the words of the great Bob Barker, Make sure you help control the pet population and get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Uh, I'm still just rereading these tweets uh, in response to my tweet about getting my son vaccinated. One person tweets, uh, he retweets me, and I appreciate the fact that he at least retweeted me. Uh, I remember one time Olivia Newsy, who was on, uh, had a, a guest appearance as herself on Billions last Sunday, and she was actually quite good. She tweeted at me mockingly one time and wouldn't even tag me. So that this way, heaven forbid, any of her followers would find me. Uh, but you can find me at Frank Moreno. So this is what this guy writes. This is what an idiot this guy is. He's taking his son for polio and measles vaccine, vaccines that took 40-plus to develop, then takes a dig at Robert F. Kennedy Jr., whose children are all vaccinated for childhood diseases, not with a vaccine that was developed in six months. Okay, so that that's what that... Put, uh, you know, that's what that person put. And you should see the responses to that. I'm not even going to repeat them. They're, and they're OK for Twitter, but not on radio. And then another woman retweets me, Lisa Christine, and she just says heartbreaking. It's I mean, way to take a lighthearted uh, tweet. And uh, uh, all right, whatever. Now, uh, you probably have heard by now about the situation involving Jeff Zucker. Jeff Zucker is the, was the head of CNN. I am not a Jeff Zucker fan. I have a lot of problems with the way Jeff Zucker makes editorial decisions. He's done some things I like. Uh, for instance, uh, putting Michael Smirkanish on on Saturdays and giving him opportunities to fill in during the week. I think he gets credit for that. But if you look at Basically, he turned his network, which was seen as a little bit more objective and in 2016 actually made an effort to cover all the candidates fairly. Remember, they actually went on a a hiring spree to try and hire more Trump people because they recognized that a lot of their viewers were Trump people. They hired uh, Kaylee McEnany. They hired uh, 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 Jeffrey Lord. Uh, They hired Rick Santorum after the election. And they had uh, my friend Joe Borelli on there all the time. Then, very quickly, and thanks to videos from Project Veritas, it became clear that they had no interest in covering journalism, uh, in, co- in, in fair journalism. They had no interest in covering um, the former president fairly. They had an interest in being a hatchet network against anything resembling Trump. Fine. So I, I don't have a high opinion of him as a newsman. So this is the latest. Jeff Zucker resigned yesterday after failing to disclose a consensual relationship with a CNN staffer. This is what Zucker wrote in a memo that was shared by CNN's Brian Stelter, quote, As part of the investigation into Chris Cuomo's tenure at CNN, I was asked about a consensual relationship with my closest colleague, someone I have worked with for more than 20 years. I acknowledge the relationship evolved in recent years. I was required to disclose it when it began, but I didn't. It was wrong. As a result, I am resigning today. That is the memo. Now, I want you to keep in mind what I said. I am not a Jeff Zucker fan. Let me read you a little bit more of what he wrote here. I came to CNN on January 28th, 2013. Together, we had nine great years. I certainly wish my tenure here had ended differently. 
But it was an amazing run, and I loved every minute. I'm grateful to the thousands of incredibly talented CNN and Turner Sports employees who helped make this such a joy for me and such a success for all of us. I wish each of you nothing but the best in the years ahead. Okay. Now, I want you to understand, regardless of what you think about Jeff Zucker, because I don't know Jeff Zucker, but I'm not a Jeff Zucker fan. The guy is resigning not because he raped someone, not because he assaulted someone, not because he made an untoward joke that someone found offensive in the newsroom, the guy, not because he groped someone, not because he pressured someone to have sex with him. This man is resigning over a consensual relationship. This is hilarious and sad at the same time. Jeff Zucker not disclosing a consensual relationship with a fellow adult is grounds for immediate resignation. How about who cares? And why is this even being investigated? And I put investigated in air quotes. Why is this even being investigated in the first place? The mentality of the of 21st century HR is so incredibly miserable. These are consenting adults. It's no one's business if they choose to have a relationship with one another. Now, if he didn't disclose it in violation of one of their... First of all, what a stupid rule. you got to disclose this relationship with another adult. If he didn't disclose it in violation of the rules, then... He should they give him a warning, give him a slap on the wrist. But to have someone immediately resign because they didn't disclose a relationship with a fellow adult, which was consensual by all parties involved. Give me a break. This is absolutely crazy. You want to talk something that's peak 2022? This is it. Can you imagine something like this happening 20 or 30 years ago? I can't. Uh, Now, my father met at least two of his wives at work, and he was the boss, my mother being one of them. And I'm sure he wasn't filling out any forms, letting people know, oh, by the way, I'm engaged in a consensual relationship with with an underling. Uh, This is nuts. Bill de Blasio, who we're going to talk about in a second. Bill de Blasio, you know how he met his wife? At work. People spend an enormous amount of time at work. It's only natural, especially, I don't know what Jeff Zucker's work hours were like, but um, it's only natural that you're going to meet people and carry on relationships with people you meet at work. I realize that's verboten in 2022 America, but to think otherwise, it's just silly. I believe, and I stand to be corrected, I believe John and Margot Katsimatidis met at work. Now, this is nuts. Immediate resignation because you don't disclose a consensual relationship? Folks, I don't care what you think about Jeff Zucker. This is wrong. This should not happen to anybody. This shouldn't be part of the American workplace. When did human resources get in the business of 
investigating what goes on in people's bedrooms. If something happens at work, if these two are having sex in the break room or something, absolutely. That's uncalled for, untoward, inappropriate, shouldn't happen, throw the book at them. Absolutely. There's no allegation that that happened. There's no allegation that these two did anything inappropriate at work. Except not tell Big Brother at HR about their relationship? This is silly. Absolutely silly. 800-848-922 if you want to comment. That is 800-848-WABC. And meantime, have you been listening to Curtis on the weekend? He's been doing a pretty good job. And, uh, and he's getting better. Usually he gets, he gets uh, mixed reviews. But last weekend, at least from the Moranaholics, he got overwhelmingly positive reviews. So Curtis is kind enough on Sunday into Monday to invite me on his show to preview, to, to kind of talk about the news of the day and to preview whatever I'm doing on my show. So he did that last Sunday, and I came on. Did you hear that interview? Did you hear that discussion? It was only four or five minutes. But if you didn't hear it, I spoke about gerrymandering. He brought up an issue with me. He asked uh, about, um, you know, the Nicole Maliotakis congressional seat being gerrymandered. And I told him, some of you may recall this, I told him that I thought that Bill de Blasio would run for Congress. Okay? That's what I said. Those of you that were listening, remembering that. Now, John Katzmatidis was listening and he said, Frank, you know, I, I heard you talking with Curtis. I want you to come on and talk with me about it. I haven't heard anybody else mention that. So I did. And I went on the Cats at Night show Monday night is what I said. I think that one of the candidates that is going to emerge as a Democratic candidate uh, for this seat is none other than the former mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. Now, people may think that's far-fetched, but it really makes a whole lot of sense when you look at it. So 20, 30 minutes later, On that same show is Bernadette Hogan, a reporter for the New York Post. And this is why John is so great. He always gives credit. He always does the right thing. This is John Katsimatidi's question to Bernadette Hogan, a reporter for the New York Post, and her response. Uh, We don't don't have it. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, about a half hour later, uh, John says to Bernadette Hogan... Uh, something along the lines of Frank Morano said just now, just a few minutes ago, that we're hearing that uh, Bill de Blasio ran, is going to run for Congress against Nicole Maliotakis and Max Rose. And he cited, and we didn't get to play it there, but he cited some of the rationale that I gave as to why I thought that that was likely. And Bernadette Hogan, you could almost hear a light bulb go off in her brain saying uh, in summer substance, saying, oh, well, well, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, oh, he does live in Park Slope. And then lo and behold, now, again, we didn't, it's, this was the frustration about saying things first on air. It it basically, sometimes I feel like I say things and then they disappear into the ether. Um, Maybe we could do something where we memorialize this as news stories on the website or at the very least a tweet or something, although I did tweet about this. And lo and behold, yesterday's, uh, last night's New York Post, I guess it's in today's paper edition, headline, this is the headline in the New York Post, 
Bill de Blasio, considering running for Congress, sources say. Now, there are several reporters that wrote this, and I know I know two of them. Larry Salona, Carl Campanile, Bruce Golding, and Bernadette Hogan. Lo and behold, the very same reporter that John Katsimatidis brought my idea to then wrote an article about it. You know who's not mentioned in this article? They could have at least thrown me a bone here and said, and, 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 hey, uh, district resident, radio talk show host, longtime minor party activist Frank Morano was quoted. Throw me a quote. Give me something. She clearly, unless it's an amazing coincidence, she clearly got the idea to write this article based on what I said to John and then what John said to her. But I get no respect, get no credit. So watch watch what happens now. Um, everyone's going to be talking about this for a few days. But remember, you heard it from me first. And every once in a while, I'm right. Just as I was with the Andrew Cuomo charges. I told you from the get-go there were going to be no charges there. So there you have it. No credit. No, no citation. Can't even throw me a bone with the quote, New York Post. But... I'm happy to move the ball forward in terms of giving you story ideas. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on that. Or uh, this situation involving Jeff Zucker, which I find totally outrageous. And I'd love to hear your view. John is in Yorktown Heights. Hello, John. Hi, Frank. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm here six blocks from where AOC Sandy Cortez grew up, age four. But with the Zucker it, it, it's it's unbelievable to you because it's really not the reason. The reason is AT&T is dumping CNN. Discovery is taking them over probably sometime during the summer, June, July, August. They've already sold their main facility down in Atlanta, and they want him out. The, now They're down 72% from uh, last year. John, this is um, what I was waiting for somebody to say. And uh, because I think you're I think you're I think you happen to be right. I think this had nothing to do with this consensual affair. I think yeah. that they got rid of they got rid of Jeff Zucker for this consensual affair about as about as much as they got rid of Andrew Cuomo for sexual harassment. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, they, they, you know, it's it's a corporate decision. It's a money decision, and they they need to make a change. It, they're they're in the toilet. I, I think you're exactly right. You know, uh, they're in the process of. Um, and thank you for the call, there, John. You know, the large me uh, at the higher levels. There's been a lot of consternation surrounding Jeff Zucker given the pending Discovery combination with Warner Media, Discovery's largest shareholder is John Malone. John Malone, and we've covered this on the uh, the Cats Roundtable on Sundays in that you know first half hour that we do. John Malone is a big critic of CNN, and he made it known that um, you know he was not crazy about Jeff Zucker, so it was his. Uh, inclination to get rid of Jeff Zucker. That's why I think this is such a sham. I don't think this had anything to do with the consensual affair. I I think they should have just let him say he's resigning to spend time with his family. Whenever somebody says that, they're resigning to spend more time with their family, obviously you know that that's made up. Nobody wants to spend more time with their family. The whole reason people get jobs is so they can spend less time with their family. 
But um, to do this, in my opinion, is wrong. It almost criminalizes consensual adult relationships. And that's not right. It's not right. And uh, who knows if HR at other companies, at other media companies, is going to think, oh, this is what we have to do now. We have to be investigating whether people are having consensual relationships. I think John in Yorktown Heights nailed it. This is they 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 were getting rid of Jeff Zucker for some other reason. And I don't think it had anything to do with this consensual affair. What do you think? And again, I know by my nature I'm a little bit conspiratorial, but give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Maria is in Brooklyn. Hello Maria. Hi Frank. No, 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 no. Let's not make it so innocently relationship. When you are the head of a company or the head of a department, uh, the fact that you have side job, uh, a side little action with your uh, assistant or any of that, sure, HR has to get involved. No, it's not that innocent. It means this loyalty, this honesty. I'm sure there's a wife waiting for him. If there's a husband on the other side, no, no, no. Plus, he's the head of the department, and he's going to have his his coworker. And by the way, she she works under me, but after work. Me and her go do little things on the side. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. HR had every right. And by the way, Frank, I'm going to tell you, de Blasio, when he was running for president, I knew it. He went on Spanish radio, and he was begging people for $1. De Blasio knew he was never going to be able to be president. He was never going to be able to even run us as far as he, I'm sure he wanted to. But he was doing it just to get money. That's all that he's doing, all of his horse. He's not going to get elected to anything. But like I said to you, in Spanish, he was begging people to send him a dollar for his campaign. That's what this is all about. Well, thank you, Maria. I actually think that one of the best things, and I said this uh, in my interview with John Katsimatidis and uh, Judge Weinberg and Lydia Serrani, and I think uh, Tony Carbonetti was there as well. I, I, I think in some ways the best thing for Nicole is for de Blasio to be the Democratic nominee, because whereas Max Rose is actually a good fit for the district in terms of his policies, de Blasio is not. So I think even with the gerrymander, which makes this a district that went from a Trump plus 11 district to a Biden plus nine district, even with the gerrymander, if de Blasio is the Democratic nominee, he is going to lose the seat, in my opinion. Um, 800 Eight four eight WABC. If you want to comment in in terms of um, you know the uh, this the gerrymandering is just terrible. Whether it's Democrats that do it or Republicans that do it, it needs to end. And I'm hoping now that both parties have you know sort of felt the sting of it. If they're in the minority, Republicans in states like New York and New Jersey, Democrats in states like Texas, North Carolina, and now Florida and others. The Supreme Court has upheld this as constitutional, but I'm hoping that maybe there can be a grand bargain where we get deal makers, uh, guys that want to work with the people on the other side of the aisle in Congress, Democrats and Republicans to say, no, 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 no more gerrymandering. We have to put a stop to this, at least on the congressional level, because it's not right. As I've said before, we have a, a situation right now where instead of the voters choosing their politicians, the politicians are choosing the voters, and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, meantime, one of the issues that whoever's in power for the next couple of years is going to have to deal with is inflation. 
Now, when I, we talk with uh, on the Cats Roundtable about inflation, John doesn't even like to use the word because he thinks that it, it makes things overly complicated for regular people. Maybe he's right. So instead of inflation, just think of it as your money is worth less and everything costs more. We are seeing this at the worst level that we've seen it in 40 years right now. The dollar is in trouble. The stock market is in trouble. And a lot of the policies coming out of Washington are not helpful. So what can you do about it? Gold. Gold, silver, and other precious metals. Gold, historically, has always provided a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that you should really consider trusting if you're interested in investing in gold and silver. Take this seriously. Oil prices are rising. We have supply chain issues. And all of this is only adding to the inflation problem. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased counsel based on your personal situation. Be proactive before you regret it. Take some steps now to protect yourself and protect your financial portfolio. Call Legacy Precious Metals. They can advise you on all your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly in your home. Speak to an IRA expert at 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or... Download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you want to uh, do that, if you download their free investor's guide, you can make sure you tell them that you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. WABC, wherever you go, go, go with 77 WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. This is the other side of midnight. That's Gangnam Style by Psy. You remember how big Psy was 10 years ago? You really don't hear from him that much anymore, at least not in this country. Maybe in South Korea. He's uh, he's still big, but uh, and I'm not he's not a one hit wonder. He had a couple of songs that were big here, but uh, he's certainly somebody that has not had the staying power of a lot of other performers over the years. He's no Robin Thicke, for instance. Um, so you know what I find incredibly irritating? I was out to dinner on what day is today? Today is Thursday. I was out to dinner on Tuesday night, and I'm looking over the menu. Okay. It's not a large menu. Look at it over. And I then hand it back to the waitress. And I got a paper cut on the menu. And I have never understood why a menu should be in a position to cut anybody. Now, you, I, I like a menu that has the 
that that's paper, but that has maybe the plastic over the paper. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's laminated because you're not going to cut yourself on a laminated paper menu. But if it's just paper, especially if it's a new menu, if it's just paper, then that's a real danger. This paper cut. So I have had this paper cut since yesterday. And you know how paper cuts are. They're just annoying. Every time I touch my my finger, my index finger, it's my left index finger, thankfully. Heaven forbid it was the, you know, my primary hand, my right hand. But it's the left index finger. Every time I touch it to something, it's, it's just really, really terrible. Really terrible. The other thing I noticed as I was driving in, as I mentioned, if you're driving now, be care in the New York area, be careful with the fog. Uh, the fog is tough right now. But one of the things I like to do is I like to see if people have special license plates. And I saw a car in front of me as I was driving on the highway that had some sort of a special license plate. And I wanted to see, I thought for a second that it was a New York press plate, NYP plate. And what I was going to do then, and this is not wise and I'm not recommending it to people, what I was going to do is see if I could see who was driving and see if it was somebody that I recognized. But whenever there's somebody with special plates, I always like to see who it is. Uh, sometimes, these, you know, it's a city council member might have special plates or a state senator or a judge or, or whatever. I like to see what they have. And then I get close enough to this license plate to see what it says. It doesn't say NYP, although from a distance and in the fog, it looks like it would say NYP. It says DDS. DDS, of course, means you're a dentist. And I, you know, I'm sure I knew this. I'm sure I noticed it before, but uh, I, I guess I never really thought about it. I didn't fully realize, or if I did, I'd forgotten it, that dentists had their own license plates. Now, again, I like going to the dentist. I have a very good relationship with my dentist, an even better relationship, nothing untoward, uh, John Malone and CNN, nothing untoward human resources, even better relationship with my dental hygienist, Angela. But why do, and I like dentists, I like going and I go regularly every six months, no matter what, I take my gum care very seriously. Why do dentists have their own license plate? Well, I mean, is, is there really that many instances where a dentist requires their own license plate? Is there special parking for dentists only? I don't think so. If there is, there shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, I know there are dental emergencies, but, um, I mean, does that mean when you're speeding in a car that has a DDS license plate, if you wave to the police officer that's trying to shout you down, oh, no, no, it's a dental emergency. I have an emergency root canal I'm on the way to. Why do dentists have their own license plates? What What is the practical function of that? Now, the practical function of the New York press plates or the um, NYPD plates or the, you know, whatever plates is that you can park in certain areas where regular people can't park. Why do the dentists need special parking? Maybe uh, do they get special parking at hospitals? If anything, I think that they should just have a, a placard, not a special license plate. And, and again, I want to be very clear. Uh, unlike uh, Jerry Seinfeld, I am not an anti-dentite. I am pro-dentite and always have been. But 
just struck me as unusual. I'm not getting too worked up about it. In fact, after I leave the airwaves today, I'm not going to think about it probably for the rest of my life. But uh, I just kind of made me scratch my head and go, huh, the dentists get a lot of perks. They get to walk around. They're not um, they're not doing any heart surgeries or or treating anybody for cancer, but they get to walk around and have people call them doctor. And now they get their own license plates. Okay. Okay. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Bill is in Queens. Hello, Bill. Hey, Frank. I want your take on something. It's this political thing you brought up about the gerrymandering. Um, You know, there's a report that just came out tonight that uh, Cuomo had dinner with uh, Adams. All right. Now, um, why would Adams even meet with Cuomo? If anything, Cuomo owns this crime wave as much as de Blasio. And, and, and to make it even worse, he could have fired de Blasio during that eight years. Why would Adams, every time there's a report on Adams, what he's doing, most of the times he's a loser. I don't understand why he's doing stuff like that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't think, in spite of how Cuomo made it sound during the campaign, Cuomo and Adams never really had much of a relationship. Uh, Cuomo, uh, Adams was a state senator at the time that Cuomo was the governor. But in spite of how Cuomo made it sound, they didn't really know each other uh, because the Democrats were in the minority in the state Senate at the time. So Cuomo wasn't dealing with the Senate Democrats. Primarily, he was dealing with the Senate Republicans and the IDC. So why would he meet with Adams? I don't know. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, for all his faults, and there are many, is a very bright political mind. So uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if it was Cuomo that asked for that meeting and if he views Adams as a way of trying to uh, settle some scores uh, for for him, whether it be against Tish James, whether it be against Bill de Blasio or some people that we don't even know. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what was on their agenda. They could have been discussing. Maybe it's a little more innocuous than than I have it uh, pegged as. Maybe they were discussing staffing matters. There are still 50 open positions in the Adams administration. Maybe uh, Andrew Cuomo was saying, oh, you know, you should look at this person for this, look at that person for that. Certainly possible. Maybe Andrew Cuomo was trying to win over Adams for his bid for attorney general, which I think there's a good chance he will run for attorney general this year, or maybe it's something else entirely. I don't know. It's only speculation, but sometimes it can be fun to speculate. Thank you, Bill. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Lenny is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Lenny. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Uh, I, I just heard you talking about getting your finger cut on the menu. Yes. And, well, I, I was just going to say that, you know, probably – uh, Curtis is going to probably have something to say about that on his program. Look, Curtis is unable, literally unable to cross the street without getting injured. Uh, right. I, I walked in here last week and I couldn't even look Curtis in the face because he was missing one of his front teeth. It was the most revolting, disgusting thing I've seen. Now, again, I've spoken with Curtis's former dentist about Curtis's dental issues, and I recognized he's been beat up many times over the years. But he's smiling at people missing a front tooth. It's like something out of a, 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 I don't know, a boxing training film, a cautionary tale. Curtis can't exit a taxi cab without either getting shot or run over. Curtis is in no position to judge my paper cuts, I assure you. And um, I'm I'm not a litigious fellow. But I do wonder if the company that manufactured this menu 
is liable for a potential lawsuit here for this paper cut. Think of all the, I want to say, it hasn't really changed my behavior at all, but think of all the inconvenience I've had to deal with over the last, I don't know, 20 20 hours or so because of this paper cut. No laughing matter. Buddy is in Brooklyn. Hello, buddy. Yeah, good evening, Frank. Uh, In reference to the DDS plate, that is for doctors, dentists who have to park in the street and they're at a meter. That way, that's showing that they're working on maybe pulling teeth or something and they don't have to. Of course, they take advantage of it, but that just gives them, you know, a parking pass in the city streets. Well, you know what, though, buddy? I, again, I, I, I'm i not anti-dentist. I can't stress that enough. And I'm going to disconnect you because you left your radio on. And I'm hopefully that was a reflection of you disobeying Ryan's direction and not a reflection of Ryan not giving that direction. But um, the dentists should have to obey by the same parking laws that I do. Now, I recognize that, okay, you have to perform surgery as a dentist. You have to do cleanings as a dentist. You have to do root canals at a dentist. You have to take x-rays as a dentist. All important things, and your patients rely upon you. Well, you know who's relying on me right now? The nearly 100,000 people, 100,000 people that I'm talking to right now. So why should I, or Sid Rosenberg, or uh, Curtis Lewa, or Dominic Carter, or Rita Cosby, why should we as radio commentators have to abide by parking rules Whereas people that have a DDS plate don't. I'm sorry. And again, I have an unblemished record of respect for the dental profession. But they should have to abide by parking regulations. I, Sorry. Sorry. Everybody's got an important job to do. Okay? Everybody's job is important. And just because, you know, you have chosen a profession that is demanding, admittedly, You shouldn't get to break the rules of parking. Sorry. No more than I should. 800-848-WABC. Again, I'm not going to make this my cause. I'm much too busy trying to, A, stop war with Russia, and B, bring back the soft drink tab. Once those two things are dealt with, I will deal with who gets what license plate. Now, I saw an interesting... Um, an interesting study. I'm watching the West Wing now. I made a deal with my friend, um, Brendan, and year, this is going back almost a year. He's, he's a, He was an attorney. Now he's a judge. But I said, Brendan, you will love the show Boston Legal. And it's one of the great shows ever. At William Shatner, Denny Crane, James Spader, Candace Bergen, John Larroquette, R- Rene Aubergenois. It's just a wonderful, wonderful program. Betty White, a great cast. It's wonderful acting. It's funny. There's great stories. At times, it's dramatic. It's shot very well. It's just a great show. I knew he would like this show, so I kept urging him to watch this show. And lo and behold, and then we made a deal. We made one of these grand bargains like I'd like to see the politicians make on gerrymandering. We made a grand bargain where I agreed to watch the TV program The West Wing if he watched Boston Legal. So lo and behold, the guy finishes Boston Legal in something like less than a week. Five seasons done in less than a week. 
Now, I am trying to watch a West Wing. I get to see maybe half of one a day as as my uh, as I'm looking after my young son. If um, you know, if there's not compelling radio programming on at that time, I'll watch a half of West Wing. So I'm wondering, how is it that he's able to go through this so quickly? Whereas I am, I'm like the the hare in the tortoise and the hare. Although we realize, I'm excuse me, I'm like the tortoise in that race with the uh, with the hare. Although we remember who won that race. But I said to Brennan, I said, how do you get through these shows so quickly? He says, I like to binge. I like to binge watch. Binge watching. For those of you that don't have streaming services, and there are so many of them now: Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. Paramount Plus, uh, Peacock Network, so many. Binge watching, if you're unfamiliar with the term, is where you watch not just one episode of a TV program, but where you watch a whole bunch of episodes, one right after another. Boom, 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 boom. Five, six, seven, eight episodes in one sitting. And uh, I really, I like, I would like to binge watch, but I don't really have the the time uh, to try and find the 40 minutes to watch one thing is something to, to try and find three or four hours I can't do. But I found this absolutely fascinating study, <clears throat> I believe out of Krakow, Poland, where it turns out that sitting back and watching an entire series in one sitting can lead to a whole bunch of health issues stemming from behavioral addictions. This is for real. And I'm going to I'm going to link to this on my uh, Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Morano fan. And tell me if you think that this has been true in your experience. But according to this study, binge watching may be predicted by a number of different criteria. So they did a study of 645 respondents aged 18 to 30. So it is a young sample size who reported viewing more than two episodes of a TV program in a single sitting. Some 20% confessed to watching, listen to this, six to 20 episodes in one session. 20%. When investigators tested their impulsive behavior, emotional maturity, and incentives for binge-watching, impulsivity, and poor planning were found to be strong indicators of excessive TV watching, impulsivity, and poor planning. Motivation also stems from short attention spans and the need to be amused. That's according to the experts at the University of Roklaw in Poland. The number of shows watched in a given session was shown to be most closely correlated with viewers' empathy and emotional clarity and desire to be amused. Researchers say... Having little response inhibition and foresight may both be important indicators of excessive binge watching. The lead author of the study said in a statement, quote, I think that the most interesting result of the study was that motivational factors were stronger predictors of problematic binge watching than personal predispositions. So uh, it may be related to the fact that problematic binge watchers engage in marathoning TV series mainly because they want to escape their daily life problems and regulate emotions, but decide to continue watching other episodes of TV series because of more entertaining reasons. 
Interesting. You buy this? 800-848-WABC. Quote, we have found we have found out that anxiety and depression are significant predictors of problematic binge watching. Huh. Very, very in- interesting. Despite the resemblance, it would be naive to conclude that binge watching is as dangerous or harmful as other compulsive habits. It's possible that the content providers also have an impact on binge watching. As soon as one episode ends, certain services instantly load the next. Season finales with unknown endings urge viewers to begin the next season. A few seconds to decide if someone should or should not continue watching is not enough to make rational decisions and may lead to loss of control over the amount of time spent watching on TV shows. However, some platforms have already made some changes to help viewers control their behavior. For example, Netflix added the option to disable the autoplay of another episode. So I find that pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. The study's limitations are acknowledged by the researchers who note that it only includes volunteers from Poland. So who knows? Maybe TV viewers in the United States or China or Japan uh, have different personality traits that lead to binge watching. But uh, this definitely suggests that further research is needed in other countries. In the meantime, perhaps, you know, if you're one of these binge watchers, you think about giving Netflix or Hulu a rest. Your favorite shows will still be there when you return. It's funny. When I watch a show, um, I'm not looking to escape from my anxiety. I almost feel like I'm getting something done. I, you know, I have this list of TV programs, of movies, and I feel like once I watch one, and this is probably not healthy. It's probably not a healthy way to enjoy entertainment uh, because I never feel like this about radio. When I listen to a radio program, I'm just enjoying listening to it. I don't think, oh, let me get through this so that I can move on to the next show I want to listen to. I I just am immersed in in enjoying it. When I'm watching a TV program, whether it's a show that I uh, really like or, you know, well, I mean, I I only would watch a show that I really like. I'm viewing it as, okay, check. Let me move that on. Okay, I watched uh, The West Wing. Let me take out the garbage. Uh, Check out the garbage. Let me clean the car. Clean the car. Clean the car. Let me book guests for tonight's show. Book guests for tonight's show. Uh, let me um, catch up on all the phone calls that I have to return. It's a chore for me. It's something I feel like I have to get done. Almost like a summer reading list in perpetuity. 800-848-WABC. Gina is in Brooklyn. Gina, you sound like you don't think I should have special parking privileges. That and a lot of things you said tonight are very thought-provoking, so I had a few comments. But oh, you, know, you have to realize dentists, they're doing surgery, and they don't know how it's going to go. You probably haven't had a lot of dental difficulties, but I worked for a dentist years ago and also had a lot of dental work done years ago. And, you know, I can tell you like five things right off the bat that don't always go the way the dentist thinks it should go. And then there's bleeding involved and hemorrhaging sometimes and stitches and and um, ner- they hit the nerve and then they have to give them more Novocaine, which takes another 20 minutes to take effect. There's a lot that goes into being a dental surgeon. I, again, I'm not taking anything away from the dental surgeons, but um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people. You're right. I, I'm not dealing with life or death issues here, but... You think that the dentists deserve the the special parking privileges and the special license plate? 
No, I think the people that they're serving deserve for the dentist to take the time necessary to do the job correctly. And a lot of times when I go to the dentist, the person that's doing the lion's share of the work are the dental hygienists. And the dentist sort of just pops in, looks at my x-ray uh, and uh, you know, says, oh, OK, you, you got no cavities. I'll, I'll see you in six months. They, they almost really don't do anything in my case. Now, I recognize that that's because I haven't had the kind of serious dental issues, thankfully, that you're describing. But um, all right. Well, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe you're right, Gina. And I wanted to say, too, I do remember you mentioning de Blasio, or the first person that mentioned him Sunday night, because I remember Curtis said that that made him want to projectile vomit. <laughs> well, good, Gina. I'm glad you keep me in mind. I'm glad you remember me, even if the New York Post doesn't. And one other thing. I can't believe Trump didn't give Giuliani some money for the trouble that he's going through for supporting him. And how can we get Mr. Trump to give Mr. Yeah, you Giuliani know, I'll, be, that I'll money? be honest. And you want to know how, what a loyal guy Rudy Giuliani is. I don't want to dis, I don't want to disclose too many of our private conversations. But I said to Rudy privately when we were hanging out and, you know, we both had a, a couple of drinks and a cigar. I said to him, um, you know, I'll be honest, Mr. Mayor, it really does make me think less of President Trump that all of your legal issues right now are due to him. And he's raised a hundred million dollars uh, for his legal issues. And, you know, he would lose nothing by doing a fundraise drive for you or just giving you five million dollars of the money that he's raised. And the mayor would not be critical of the president. And he basically said, you know, he shrugged. He said, well, I'm a little disappointed, too. But uh, I think it's really just the people around him that have him convinced that he should be doing one thing instead of doing the right thing. So uh, even though I, I think that uh, Trump should know on his own uh, th- to do the right thing and uh, and and do the right thing. The mayor wouldn't reproach Trump at all. He said, oh, no, no, it's not Trump. It's the people around him. So uh, the mayor is a class act. And to see him sub- subjected to the kind of behavior from Robin Thicke and uh, Ken Jeong, I-, I think is just a real, real shame, Gina. Well, I'm going to write Trump a letter. I hope I'm you do. I'm going to write him a letter. I hope I you am. do. I'm, I sincerely am. And have a good night, Frank. Thank good you night. very much. Thank you. Uh, Tom writes, if proctologists can have their own license plates, Why shouldn't dentists? Well, the infamous proctologist plate, that is, of course, a vanity plate. That was not an informal, uh, that that was not a formal license plate. Hey, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. Oh, somebody else just sent me an email. How dentists avoid parking tickets in New York. And it's all about the brazen use of these DDS license plates. All right, well, I'm over it. I'm over it. If the dentists need license plates in order to perform this emergency dental surgery, so be it. I I just, I don't know. I I don't love, uh, you know, I'm a populist, right? I just don't, I don't love elevating one group of people above anybody else. And look, if you're a doctor and you have to rush to the hospital to deliver a baby, look, they have special parking at hospitals. And I would think they have special parking at dentist's office. I mean, maybe Manhattan's a little different with parking, so so weird, but I don't know. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Everybody loves a clown. A great song. You know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but, you know, I listen to Cousin Brucey every Saturday night. That's not what I'm embarrassed by. But I did not realize until he interviewed Gary Lewis a few months ago on his show. And by the way, if you're not listening to Cousin Brucey, it's a great show. It offers everything, music, talk, conversation, and it's fun. It's fun. I mean, um, we have a lot of great shows on the station, but so many of them over the last week or so, as they should, because, look, we're a news talk station, but so many of these shows um, all dealt with dead cops. And I'll be honest, it it puts me in such a dour mood hearing all day long about cops being murdered. Now, I'm I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't pay attention to them. We should. And again, we have a great poll question at WABCradio.com about honoring uh, Officer Mora. But it's very depressing. It's incredibly depressing. When you're listening to Cousin Brucey from 6 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Saturday nights, you know you are in for a good time. It's such a treat. It is so much fun. It makes you smile. He plays upbeat music. He plays fun music. He's got people calling in and giving dedications to loved ones. He's got great artists, great experts uh, on music of uh, certain eras, and he's talking to them. It's just such a fun show. I always feel better um, listening to it. And sometimes when we have guests over on Saturday, or e- or even if my mom, will, uh, my um, my wife, sorry, uh, got distracted by the Gary Lewis song playing uh, in the background there. Even if my wife's making dinner and she'll say, you know, what kind of music do you want to listen to rather than put on a record or something? I'll always suggest on Saturday night. Why don't we put on Cousin Brucey? And so I did not know until a few months ago when Brucey interviewed Gary Lewis that Gary Lewis of Gary Lewis and the Playboys is the son of Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, the comedian, the actor. The muscular dystrophy telephone guy. I had no idea. Now, I felt like such an idiot afterwards. And I know a lot of you think I'm an idiot all the time and should feel like that all the time. I had no idea. And that's one of the many reasons you got to listen to Cousin Brucey. You'll learn that kind of thing. But it's a great song nonetheless. Hey, uh, I'll tell you what does concern me. Speaking of reasons to be depressed, all of the asteroids that seem to be in the vicinity of Earth and look, I've covered this with Dr. Sky in just about all of our recent appearances. I don't think that the so-called experts nor the government would be honest with the public if there was an asteroid that was hurtling towards Earth and leaving, leading to a mass-level extinction event. I don't. I think they would not want to panic everybody, and they wouldn't tell us. But... You, the more you see about these asteroids, the more cause for concern there is. There's an article in The Sun that says a Trojan asteroid has been spotted following Earth. Scientists have confirmed that a giant asteroid called 2020 XL5 is following Earth's orbit. This is only the second asteroid to be spotted sharing Earth's orbit. So researchers think it's close enough to be visited by humans one day. Trojan asteroids, it has nothing to do with condoms or prophylactics of any type, nothing to do with uh, Roman soldiers. 
Trojan asteroids are known for sharing their orbit with a planet. Asteroids like this were first spotted around Jupiter and were named after figures from the Trojan War. Only one other Trojan asteroid has been spotted around Earth. Scientists spotted the new Trojan candidate on December 12th of 2020. Since then, data has confirmed that it is an Earth Trojan, meaning it's in our orbit. And they just published this research in the journal Nature Communications. And the researchers state, quote, Here we confirm that the recently discovered 2020 XL5 is the second transient Earth Trojan known. It's said to be about 0.73 miles wide. Fortunately, they say, they say, it is not expected to impact Earth and just closely follow behind us. I mean, I'm glad they're saying that. I hope that's the case. But I don't feel great about a giant space rock following this closely to our planet. So... The researchers do think that humans could visit one day and maybe even build a base there. Can you imagine building a base on an asteroid? So they wrote, uh, these objects may become ideal targets for space missions and in the more distant future to settle human bases or install scientific hardware that would benefit from their particular location. So, or their peculiar location. Uh, It's not clear where this asteroid came from. It may have been flung our way from Jupiter. And uh, the so-called experts think that the asteroid could share our orbit for the next 4,000 years. Now, that makes me nervous. Having an asteroid follow our planet for 4,000 years? I don't know. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's at 800-848-9222. We got the AC report with my friend Mark Berman coming up in about a half hour. Uh, open phones, you want to comment, we'll take your calls next. 800-848-WABC. In the meantime, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. York City. Good morrow, everyone. Here in New York City, there was a new law passed. And I think many of you probably didn't hear about it. And I am wondering, and there have been other similar laws passed in other cities, and I am wondering if this is going to be something that takes the whole country by storm. Let me tell you about it, because it is my job on this program to tell you about law, to tell you about news that you are not hearing elsewhere. Where did, did you hear anywhere else about the record number of traffic deaths? No. I mean, we are covering story after story, whether it has to do with aliens or Andrew Cuomo. Sometimes people may say those things are the same that you are not hearing about anywhere. Let me tell you what the new law is regarding New York City. And spoiler alert, if you are a business owner, large or small, I don't think you're going to like it. Let me tell you. So um, 
you might like it if you're a worker. In fact, I kind of like it. If you've ever been in the market for a new job, you've probably encountered this scenario. You're deep into the interview process. Things are going great until your prospective employer drops a salary bomb. Suddenly, thoughts of pursuing this incredible job are out the door because it turns out the salary range your potential employer has in mind won't come close to helping you pay your bills. It is a big point. This has happened to me. And it is a big point of frustration for job searchers that companies often post jobs without any indication as to what they're looking to pay. Well, now, for better or worse, in New York City, that is about to change. Starting in April, private employers in New York, I want to repeat that, private employers, private employers in New York will be required to post salary ranges for open jobs. And again, this they, this law does exist in other parts of the country as well. But the fact that New York City is such a big job market, this is a very significant change. And a big reason why this change is being made is that keeping salary data a secret puts workers at a disadvantage. It makes it harder for them to go after an equitable wage. By requiring companies, the theory goes, to disclose the salaries up front, or at least the salary ranges, the hope is that the people looking for the job will have an easier time narrowing down their choices and going after the pay that they think they deserve or that they need to pay their bills. How often has that happened to you, where you apply for a job, you think in your brain, all right, I think this is going to be somewhere in the seventy to $80,000 range, and then they they offer you a job that's $50,000. It's, it's happened to me. Now, no more. Beginning in April, it is now prohibited for, for people not to post the salary range of the job that you're looking for. Good idea? Bad idea? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I have mixed feelings about this because one as somebody that's applied for a lot of jobs and you know I am the world's worst negotiator I I take basically any anything um especially for a you know a job that I would really enjoy doing like this one I I mean uh, don't tell anyone I would pay to do this job in fact there are people that pay to do this job but um I I have never really negotiated salary in my life Sometimes I've applied for jobs and they say, well, what are you looking to make? And I'll say X. They say, well, I'm sorry, we don't have X. We can give you Y, which is $30,000, $40,000 less than than X. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take it. Now, I have no idea if they're lying to me in those instances. But here's the other thing. Um, And again, this this all starts in the spring. It applies to companies with more than four employees. So if you have less than four employees, you can still not post your jobs. But the I have a tough time telling a private business with that that they should be making this information public when they don't want to. If you don't want to apply for a job that doesn't post the salary, 
then don't. But if you're so intrigued by a job or working for a company that you want to go after it, then then apply. And I agree with Kathy Wild uh, from the Partnership for New York City, and she's a regular on the Cats at Night show. She said it's the wrong solution. It should never have been allowed to go through. And in my view, this is one of those laws that was rushed through in the name of whatever, economic transparency or equity. But I don't know that it's going to help either employers or people looking for jobs. I I don't know. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. The other employment issue that's in the news that I want to uh, bring to your attention was this fascinating story in the uh, New York Times. This is going back a couple of weeks, but I've had it on my list that shows quitting, quitting a job is contagious. And it's all about the psychology of, of quitting. Uh, quitting rates, meaning quitting your job, were high in August, September, and October. Then, according to the Labor Department, they climbed even further. More than 4.5 million people left their jobs voluntarily in November. I want you to absorb that number for a second. 4.5 million people quit their jobs in one month. That is a record high in over two decades of tracking. So now economists have different explanations for this. But psychologists have a whole nother explanation for this. And it's one that I hadn't heard elsewhere until reading this article. Their explanation is that quitting is contagious. The psychologists say when workers weigh whether to jump jobs, they don't just assess their own pay, their own benefits, their own career development. They look around and take note of how friends feel about the team culture. When one employee leaves, that departure signals to the others that it might be time to take stock of their options. This is what researchers call, quote, turnover contagion. I've never heard this term in my life. Turnover contagion. So quitting begets more quitting. Now, it's a big challenge that employers can't always solve with raises or perks. Even a single resignation can breed a hot spot, according to the experts. And they've studied this at all sorts of companies. It's not unique to one field or one sector. And um, it's infectious, according to researchers and psychologists. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of these stories. Number one, what do you think of this new law in New York City? And it's you can bet if you're in another city, it's going to come to a city near you, because as goes New York, often goes the nation, that requires employers to post salary ranges, requires in private sector employers uh, who have more than four employees to post their salaries, number one. Number two, do you agree with what the psychologists and the researchers are saying? Is quitting contagious? If somebody is quitting in your workplace, does that make you think, oh, maybe maybe I should quit? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. You can comment on uh, any other story that you see fit to as well. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, on the first thing, uh, Frank, I would say they could use the word approximate salary range. 
Uh, I think it could work against a prospective employee if they lock in, though, because that could lock in at a lower range, you know. Uh, and I know once you, like, I understand where you're coming from, you know, like you're just like a pure play worker, and that can work against you in terms of negotiation. Oh, it does. It, it absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. And on, on the second one, maybe people should, uh, you know, have that leverage in their thinking of the possibility of quitting. In other words, at least weigh the pros and cons of quitting unless you're ecstatic about any given job. I mean, you're in something that's a very, very tightness. You know, it's like it's like one spot for a million. Oh, no. Yeah. I can assure you, Joe, I will never quit. If um, if, yeah. if I unfortunately am ever fired and I pray that never happens, they're going to have to physically remove me from the building. You, you know those cartoons where, like, you're grabbing so hard onto the furniture that, like, scratch marks are left on the furniture? That's going to be that's going to be me. Yeah, yeah, but but again, if it's more of a commodity job, you know, not something very you you know niche and special, people should leverage their thinking a little bit more towards quitting. Uh, thank you, Joe. What do you think? I mean, we look, the peer pressure does exist. Peer pressure does happen in the workplace. 800-848-WABC. And I think at least the researchers are saying, at least the psychologists are saying, that that peer pressure, that peer effect, they call it. They're not using the word pressure. The researchers are saying the peer effect is leading to record numbers of people quitting their job. Four and a half million in one month. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Libby is in Newark, New Jersey. Hello there, Libby. Hey, I was um, listening to you talk about uh, those that one Trojan asteroid. I just wanted to reassure you that um, there's no danger. As you mentioned, uh, Trojan asteroids, um, you have um, – they're on the same orbit as the planet, so – as you know, it takes the Earth one year to orbit the sun. So if you've got a Trojan asteroid on the Earth's orbit, it also takes one year to orbit the sun. So the orbits are synchronized, see? Um, you could have a trailing asteroid, which I think is the one you were mentioning. It's behind the Earth's orbit, but that means it won't catch up to the Earth because the orbits are synchronized. You could also have leading Trojan asteroids where one might be ahead of the Earth. But once again, it still takes one year to orbit so it's synchronized. Plus, it's Trojan asteroids are kind of far. I mean, the Trojan asteroids are like 60 degrees either ahead of a planet or behind a planet, just like Jupiter's orbit, like you were mentioning. And 60 degrees, I mean, is big. I mean, you know, the, the circumference of a circle is 2 pi radius. And 60 degrees is one-sixth of 360. So if you round pi to 3, 2 times 3 is 6. And then if you take one-sixth of the 6, it knocks out, and all that's left is the radius. So the Earth is like 93 million miles from the sun. Think of it as the radius of the orbit. And that means that Trojan asteroid is 93 million miles from us on the arc of the orbit, either behind, I think is what you were saying, or it could have been ahead. So, All right. Well, I feel a little bit better now, Libby, but I uh, thank you. And uh, I didn't understand all the science and all the numbers there. But uh, my skepticism about the likelihood of authorities telling the whole story to the public remains. But good. Libby says I have nothing to worry about, then... 
Cross that off. One less thing. Uh, Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, Frank. Yes, this uh, It's quite a, a situation with this asteroid's following the Earth's orbit. But now a mystery has been cleared up for me. I know where de Blasio originally came from before he got to this Earth. He was living on that asteroid. That is very funny, Tom. That is very funny. Well done. 800-848-WABC. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Hey, a couple of things. Number one, a uh, leftover comment about dentists, um, and then I'll get into employment. Uh, I have a pet peeve, nothing to do with license plates. I just find that a lot of dentists seem to jump to occlusions. Uh, very yeah, funny, um, Michael. Well done. Well thank done. you so much. And as far as employment goes, um, you, you're applying for a job. Okay, let's say it's a, uh, I don't care, anything, an accounting job. All right. There are plenty of tools around on the Internet where you can see what is the average range of your particular job here in New York or in Chicago. So you have an idea in your mind. So if it's $50,000 a year and you walk in as a junior accountant, you're not going to say, well, I think I'd like uh, 60,000. You know, there are tools so that you can focus on that. Well, I I agree with you. I, I agree with you, Michael. And it's one of the many reasons why I think this law is unnecessary. And I think it's going to I think it's going to create. I think it's going to create a bureaucratic nightmare for businesses, and um, I don't necessarily think it's going to lead to employees getting paid anything extra. And and like that other gentleman said, an employee, an employee can, an employer can say the price range, the salary range for this job is a hundred to one hundred and thirty-five. Thousand. Right. Well, so the, there's some wiggle room in there, and you can go in knowing that it's 135. And yes, you can talk your way into 145 or 150 when you explain to the employer the things that you've accomplished. Well, gee, you know, this is what we're offering, but gosh, you sound really good. We're going to give you more. So it's up to you to talk. Uh, Michael, I think that is a fine, fine point. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Gina Marie is in Brooklyn, not to be confused with Gina, who called earlier. Hello, Gina Marie. Hi, Frank. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Okay, I wanted to talk about baby Carmine and the vaccination. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was wondering, didn't anybody say that that was a good idea? Well, getting him vaccinated for COVID? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's available uh, for infants yet. Oh, okay. You really so you didn't take him for the vaccine? No, you I took him for I took him. He got three vaccinations. He got one for oh, uh, polio, okay, okay. one for uh, measles. Oh, well, I think one that's for almost an about vaccines. I think it's a wonderful idea. I don't understand why these people would be so upset. Yeah, neither do I. And, and I mean, it's just. You know why? Because people are, get upset about everything. Uh, and there's just people yeah. are unable. And look, I mean, uh, th- th- this is spoken by somebody that spends four four hours ranting about about game shows and dental license plates. So maybe I'm not in the best position oh. to judge. But um, 
People need to lighten up. Uh, They really get so crazy. People, I posted this photo on Facebook. One person said. I saw that. I I saw that. I was going to comment, and then I didn't. One person said, um, you know, that I was uh, guilty of uh, of child abuse. I mean, what is the matter with these people? And and they're mad about, like, the regular vaccines. Imagine if you took them for the COVID. Right. Oh, forget about that. Oh, no. I, you know, if if he ever gets to the point where he gets needs to get vaccinated for covid, I'm going to have to take him to a secure and undisclosed location. I'm going to take him to one of those CIA black ops sites out of the country and have to take him to Guantanamo just to hide yeah. him from the, the Facebook group. <laughs> oh, wow. OK. And I was wondering, I said they don't give babies covid shots. But you never know. I didn't know. I thought it was a new thing now that they gave them to babies. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Gina Marie. I I appreciate you calling. I appreciate the support, and I appreciate you listening there. Yes, thank you so much, Frank. Thank you. And uh, Joe is in Hewlett. Hello, Joe. Yes, hello, Frank. Uh, I think you you mentioned the word equity. I'm wondering if uh, if this also has to do with equality in regards to gender. Yes, Yes, that's that's why that was the whole rationale for it. That's why they said they passed it, because the gender uh, pay gap between men and women still exists. And this way, women will know how much men are getting paid for these same open positions. Right. Well, my, my, my thought was, is this law written with the wording to include internal jobs within a company that you already have a pre-existing position with? Uh, that's a good and question. Then, I believe the answer so, is yes, but I'd have to double check. Yeah, that. I, up, 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 uh, I would have thought also that it would would be yes. So, but uh, you'd have to look at the wording, and it becomes a legal thing. So uh, that, that it does, we'll Joe. We'll, that it we'll does. We'll see how it shakes out. That you're right. Thank you, but you know, uh, we'll see what happens. I hope it is a, a win for the workers. I am, I am, again, I'm a populist. I am with the workers. If I was any more with the workers, I'd be a, a, a full fledged communist. But I am a work. I, I am the people's talk show host. I want workers to do well. I'm not rooting for, um, you know, the big bad corporate employer. I want workers to do well. But a lot of times, um, workers do well if the companies that they work for don't have to jump through hoops to put a job posting out. All right, all right, we need to hire a new receptionist. Let's uh, make a, let's gauge the salaries of all the receptionists that work here. What does the lowest paid one make? Oh, 40000 What does the highest paid one make? 60000 All right, let me post that. Now, we're, we're, this receptionist has been here for 25 years. She uh, got her way up to 60000 Is that reflected in the job posting? No, there are too many variables. It's just I, I um I, I have a lot of questions about this law. I hope it works out well, but uh, I fear I fear that it will not. And you know, New York, it's already such a hostile place for business. And do we really need one more burden that businesses need to shoulder? I, I don't think so. But who knows? I hope that employer employees are the big winners here. But uh, I don't know. I would really just, I get very frustrated whenever there's one more thing that small businesses have to do. It's just, the small business, you need to, if you're going to open a small business in New York City, you almost need to have your head examined. You need to uh, be given a breathalyzer test because 
there's every reason in the world not to open a small business, and the odds are not in your favor to begin with. And then we keep throwing more and more stuff at them. It's really disconcerting. I remember um, one meeting that I had with Donald Trump uh, about eight years ago. Uh, he was talking about what a difficult place New York is to do business. And he said, you know, I really should be gone. I really should be anywhere else. Everywhere else is such a better environment financially and every other where else, every other way for business. But I just love this city, he said, and uh, I, you know, can't leave. Now, subsequently, he left as a resident, but he's kept his business here in in New York. Hey, speaking of money, your money is not worth what it used to be. Inflation is a big problem. Inflation is higher than it's been in 40 years, and it doesn't look to be getting any better. If you're concerned about inflation and concerned about what that means for your portfolio, then you need to think about diversifying with gold, silver, and precious metals. Legacy precious metals. I'm going to give you a phone number in just a moment. I want you to write it down. They're the company that you should trust for investing in gold and silver. You could trust them because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. It's time to be proactive before you regret it. Take steps now to protect yourself and protect your wealth. Call Legacy Precious Metals. They can advise you on all of your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly into your home. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Write this down, 866 832-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. We'll go live to Atlantic City in just a moment with my friend Mark Berman. He has field reports on everything from the snowfall to the restaurants to the gaming, you name it. Mark Berman, longtime video journalist and uh, podcaster, joins us straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the AC Report. Everything that dies someday he comes back. 
It is time for our weekly look at Monopoly City, Vegas of the East, uh, the one and only Atlantic City, New Jersey. And whether you are a frequent visitor or you have not been in decades or ever, it is certainly sometimes things are going well there. Sometimes things are going not so well there. But it is a city that you will absolutely never be bored hearing about or discussing. And a guy who has made something of a habit of covering all things Atlantic City, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, is veteran video journalist, podcaster, and Atlantic City's own major minor celebrity, my friend, and also somebody that's been known to win an Irish car bomb drinking competition or two, my friend Mark Berman. Hello, Mark. Frankie, I love that you asked me to come on tonight because it's a perfect time to talk about Atlantic City. It it truly is, so thank you. And uh, look, I, I... just before I came on, I was binge-watching uh, episodes of Whoopi <laughs> on The View. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing they were, uh, they were older than, uh, than a couple of days, though. But, but you know, whenever, whenever I mention you, uh, Mark, Rita Cosby always tells me to say hello to you, and I always forget to tell you hello. Uh, so Rita said, you've got to promise me that when my friend Mark Berman comes on that you'll, you'll say hello. So I'm passing on Rita's hello, first and foremost. But- Thank you so much. And we love Rita. And by the way, uh, there's a guy down here that you know very well who just texted me and said, hey, I heard you on Frankie's show tonight. Uh, Dave Pena says hi. Oh, great. Well, Dave, Dave is uh, a, a good guy. He was our man of the year at uh, New Year's Eve Eve last year. And I understand you've actually volunteered to be the man of the year for, for this year. Yeah, but I may have to turn it down because I'm on Spotify. <laughs> now, I understand you were uh, just a couple hours ago, you were at the uh, Golden Nugget. What was going on at the Golden Nugget? What were you doing over there? We go there a couple days a week, and I'm going to tell you why. You talked about in your intro about what Atlantic City is. It's an, I'm addicted to it. I live in the inlet, uptown Atlantic City. And I've been here since 2007 when I moved from this place, um, Philadelphia. You're in New York. You don't probably know about that, but it's a place called Philly. I used to live there, born and raised. I moved here. I'm addicted to this city. So we go over to Nugget. I look out of my window here at Bermalago. That's my house, Bermalago. And I look out my window, and I see three marina casinos. Now, the biggest problem we have in Atlantic City is, ooh, which local entertainer are we going to go see tonight? We're going to go over to the Rush Lounge over at Nugget. We're going to go over to Eden. We're going to go over to uh, the Tropicana. Uh, How about Hard Rock? Through everything that America and the world is going through right now, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else on the planet. First of all, our mayor, Marty Small, did an incredible job. Him and the city workers and his team did a great job clearing the city because we do get 22.5 million visitors pre-COVID. And they cleared it. They moved a lot of the snow right here across the street from where I live. It's a empty parcel of land. that used to be Garwood Mills right before you get to Gardner's Basin. People listening, if they know that area. Great job clearing it up. We can get out here. We can go around. You can get Back to Atlantic City. Come on down. Get on the bus. There's still buses so, running down here. So, Mark, what what did you do at the at the Golden Nugget tonight? Where where what did you see there? Who did you see there? Where were you hanging out at the Golden Nugget? Uh, Lisa Bouchelle plays in Rush Lounge. I enjoy sitting there. 
Gregory is an amazing bartender. And then I would play some slot machines. And before that, would have a drink in Vic and Anthony, which is a, an amazing oh, steakhouse. Yeah. Of, you know, as you know, Tillman Fertitta owns the property. And he owns the restaurants, and he owns Landry Food, so it's it's a great quality place, and it's where it's where we play. We enjoy going over there. Do, now you mentioned moving there over twenty years ago from Philly. What brought you to Atlantic City? Why did you choose to move there? It's simple. I've been a disc jockey since nineteen seventy eight. That's all I do. I don't know sports. Okay, my idols, and I, and I have to digress. My idols are radio personalities. In other words. Growing up in Philadelphia, I listened to WIBG 99, High Lit, Joe Niagara, Jerry Blavitt on other stations. Then in New York, you mentioned Cousin Brucey. I would listen to him as a kid growing up on WABC. You got that, cuz? <laughs> <laughs> I do indeed. So you moved Dan there. Dan Ingram on this very station that you're on, Dan Ingram. And how about Herb Oscar Anderson? Oh, These HOA. Are the people that are idols to me. The, yeah, the morning mayor. So you moved there to work in radio in Atlantic City? No, I moved there because my wife is my meal ticket and I'm her cabana boy. <laughs> well, and- why, why did she move there? Uh, because we we thoroughly enjoy it. When, you're in, when you live in Philadelphia... You come down here for the entertainment, and like I said, I come for the entertainment. I love the concerts, everything that we have. Atlantic City, collectively, in the 48 blocks that we are, has more to offer than pretty much anywhere in America if you look at it, and people think I'm nuts when I say that. Our bars are allowed to stay open 24-7. Oh, hold on. You're in New York, and they say it. Am I, tell me if I'm right. Yeah, we're, we're the city that goes to sleep at 4 a.m. That's what the uh, oh, if Sinatra was coming out with a song these days or Liza Minnelli, <laughs> that's what it would say. The the I want to wake up in the city that goes to sleep at 4 a.m. Um, but so, Mark, obviously, you've done a great job being an advocate for Atlantic City. And, um, you know, it was talking about all the interesting things, the great entertainment, the great nightlife, the great restaurants yeah. and so forth. But Atlantic City does have its fair share of problems, though, doesn't it? What are some of the if we're being honest, what are some yeah. of the the difficulties that Atlantic City either is facing now or historically has faced? OK, we do have our share of drugs and thugs. Many of those come in from other areas. To create. And. uh bring crime to our city. Yes, we do have locals, but when you look at Atlantic City, I hear you. We get a bad rap. 37,000 humans live here. 22.5 million people visit here. You're going to have some crime. When you have people coming down with disposable income, when you have people that live here dealing drugs, you could find that. Uh, The weapons offenses, sure. What happens in Atlantic City happens in every major tourism city in the nation. Mm. So we're no different than New York City or Philadelphia or Chicago or Los Angeles. We're just smaller. So if somebody visits, if somebody visits, in your view, honestly, would they have reason to feel unsafe or is uh, is that uh, is that a misconception on on a would be visitor's part? Well, to be thoroughly honest with you, I would not walk on the main streets at night, late at night, okay? I I personally would not. For Would you be shot? You might be – somebody might ask you for money. Right, maybe stabbed. Maybe stabbed but not shot. We don't get that, but we don't get that much. 
you know, there's a there's a online newspaper down here that you know. It's called Breaking AC. And what Linda Cohen does, she used to work for our local newspaper. What Linda Cohen does is factually lists what happens in the city crime-wise. She has a crime sheet of what goes on in the city and the surrounding area. Now, I'm going to say to you, there are places, Galloway, you'll see crime in there quite often. Sure. Ake Harbor Township, quite often. And you'll see many of the people in Atlantic City arrested came from these areas. It, it's true. And so we do get a bad rap. Sure. When I walked, I used to walk down the boardwalk. I guess I stopped maybe two years ago. I would walk down the boardwalk from the Irish pub uptown to where I lived before I moved downtown in Chelsea on the boardwalk at 3 a.m. live on my Facebook page. People knew me for that. I'm an, I'm an all-night person. I, I go to bed 3 a.m. seven days a week for 30 years. So I would do this. Uh, I don't right now. And the reason that I don't is because I do watch TV news. I do watch the local news in Philadelphia. And with what's going on in the country and in your city, New York, uh, I just I won't. I'm 69 years old. I don't need somebody to push an old man over. Sure, sure. No, I I, uh, I get that. Uh, believe me. All right, we're talking with Mark Berman. He is a veteran video journalist and a podcaster, and Atlantic City's major minor celebrity. Uh, if you look at the well, tell me about this new podcast uh, that you're doing, Mark. People can uh, can hear the episodes uh, by going to Mark Berman. That's Mark with a C, markberman.com. You've spoken to some great people in terms of this uh, this this new podcast that you're doing. What's yeah. this podcast all about? Here's the deal. I was going to go on since I'm follically challenged. I was going to do a podcast on hair loss and call myself Joe Rogaine, but I'm not <laughs> going to do that one, okay? So I'm not going to talk, you know, because I, I have that. <clears throat> During my 10 years on the air, <clears throat> cough break. Had to hit my cough button. During my 10 years on the air here in South Jersey on on WABC, on WOND, I interviewed 500 celebrities from Joan Rivers to Jack Bruce from Cream to Donna Summer, people who passed. I interviewed Motley Crue. I interviewed uh, reality stars, movie stars. And I was told by somebody, you've got all these sitting in the vault. People go to see bands that haven't had a hit in 30 years, sure. yet they'll pack <laughs> the boardwalk. They'll pack the boardwalk hall for a band that hasn't had a hit in 30 years. Well, your interviews, if they're interested in those bands, you should put them on a podcast. I did. I have a podcast host. I was picked up. Uh, the podcast was picked up by Spotify, by iHeartRadio, by Amazon, by Google and Apple Podcasts, by uh, and many and 10 others. And I'm thrilled about this. So we're getting some traction. I appreciate you putting it out there. Yeah, no, that's great. It's uh, the Mark Berman Timeless Celebrity Interview Podcast. You can check out the episodes at Mark. It's Mark with a C, markberman.com. And hear terrific interviews like uh, a little bit of this one with Joan Rivers. Where do you get the energy? Uh, I love the work. Love the business. People just see the tip. I'm always either writing a book or I'm... 
uh, doing a play. I always multitask and I just like every aspect of the business. You are an American icon and for me this was a thrill having you on Atlantic well, City plugged lovely in. Lovely to talk to you again because we've spoken before. I hope we speak again soon. You're a very good interviewer. Now, I agree with Joan there. You certainly are a very good interviewer, but in looking at some of these podcasts, it's really a tremendous way of remembering a lot of well-known entertainers that have passed on. Dustin Diamond, who played Screech on Saved by the Bell, the legendary comedian David Brenner. You've got incredible interviews with all these folks, and they're all on your podcast. Are you doing new episodes as well, or is it all sort of from the archives, from the Berman archives? No, we're doing new ones as well. The the gentleman that was supplying me with my entertainment from Los Angeles, uh, I sent him, told him I was doing the podcast now. He's going to be sending me people going out on the road, and then there's going to be people that I'll be interviewing for the podcast. This guy, Frankie Morano, he's up in New York on WABC. It sounds like, him on. sounds like a hack. You know, I, I wouldn't uh... – I wouldn't trust him as far as I can throw him. A guy that loves Atlantic City like that guy does, I'll tell you what, he's one of my favorite people anywhere. Well, you're very kind, and uh, this is one of my favorite. Uh, it's not even just an Atlantic City-themed podcast. People are going to be into it if they're into entertainment. You've interviewed everybody from uh, comedians to uh, musicians to pro wrestlers. It's, it's uh, really Thank terrific. You. And uh, people just search the Mark Berman podcast. Now, you mentioned uh, playing the slots at the uh, Golden Nugget. I uh, hope you finished <laughs> yeah. ahead. What do you like to play generally, Mark? Are you strictly a, sl- a slots player? I am. And the slots that I play are lightning links. They are hot. If you go into a casino and you're looking for the aristocrat lightning links, an Australian company, them and Ainsworth are Australian companies, uh, it's tough to get a seat at the lightning links. <laughs> the lightning. And by the wins. way, my wife's biggest hit was at Golden Nugget fourteen thousand. Wow, wow! Only thing bad about that is uh, the uh, ten ninety nine it comes with that you have to claim uh, all the, that money in taxes. But good for her. We should all all have such a problem. Now, I, I know your podcast is available in a bunch of different platforms, Google Podcasts and elsewhere. You're not one of the people that have demanded their podcasts come off of Spotify like Mary Trump has because of Joe Rogan's misinformation, are you? I am not, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. This is America. I believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the fact is, who am I to tell somebody what is right and what's wrong for them? Joe Rogan. I actually have never listened to his podcast till a Dr. Malone was on, who I'm interested in listening to. And I'm interested in what he has to say. I found him fascinating. Hmm. We're not allowed to find him fascinating. And that's what caused the problem for Joe Rogan. Why should I not be allowed to hear this guy? You don't have to listen to him. Do I have to listen to Fauci? I could hear him. I could take some things and not some things. I'm a libertarian. And I don't want to be told what to do. Well, that is, uh, I, I think that's very admirable. Look, my view is, I want uh, this this show broadcast or podcast anywhere where they have sound. I mean, I'm if somebody wanted to put this a show on their podcasting platform, I don't care what else is on it. I'd be really grateful. Absolutely, and what you bring to the table, talking about topical New York, national things, Atlantic City. Yes, you should be heard. 
you should be on these platforms. But not everybody in your listening audience, you have a huge listenership, is going to agree with what you say. So those people, should they want you off the air? Yeah, no, I, I would <laughs> I would hope not, sincerely. Now, um, a lot of people that uh, that listen to us either who visit routinely to Atlantic City or haven't in a while, they're always looking for new and exciting dining options. Any new restaurants we should be aware of out there in the uh, in the Atlantic City area? Funny you should say that. Right now, there are I do believe around nine new restaurants coming in. Hmm. A problem with them is that they have the drawings, they have the dreams. And here in Atlantic City, we do suffer from premature jubilation. (laughs) That means this. People have drawings and dreams. They send them to our local newspaper. That paper puts their drawings and dreams in, and we go around going, yeah, another water park. Well, we don't have one yet. I covered the groundbreaking for sure, local news. I'm their digital media director. I covered that. It's still it's not there yet. We were promised three or four of them at the Atlantic Club. Um, the problem they're having right now is some of these restaurants can't get the equipment in to open for the summer. <laughs> I mean, there's a problem getting things everywhere. It's what's going on in the world. But I can tell you this. It was a club called Role Play. It was a swingers bar. Boston and Atlantic Avenue. Yes, that will open. I met the couple. They're from Philadelphia. They're going to open a, uh, a pretty cool uh, restaurant with a cool vibe there. It's near the PNC Bank, if those of you who know the Chelsea area near the Tropicana. We have another restaurant going into Ocean. A lot of the well, – What's the name of that one? Do you know? The, the one at the role play? Oh, Serendipity. So, so, no, the one at the new role play, uh, I don't have the name. I'm sorry. I don't have that. That's all right. right. I'll I'll have it another time when I come on. Uh, We have Serendipity opening up at Ocean. And uh, also on New York Avenue, and you're very familiar, they're going to take down the building that had Mama Mott's. They're going to build a new building called Cardinal. It's going to be a hotel and a restaurant. Cardinal, it was originally Cardinal Bistro in Ventnor. They're going to open a restaurant there. Those plans are done. I know people who have been hired to do the drawings to also – do implement it getting finished. So I, yeah, I've been done. to Cardinal Bistro. Be uh, I really enjoyed that. So I'm looking forward to uh, to Cardinal opening up. That should certainly be something. It, it, it will be. And we are a restaurant town, 150 restaurants at 48 blocks. They, That's, yeah, but that includes Popeye's. If you had to pick a favorite, Mark, and I know it's an unfair question, but if you had to pick a favorite restaurant in Atlantic City, what would it be? Uh, my favorite re- well, you're talking to a guy who lives for bar food, mm-hmm. okay? So to me, a good pulled pork sandwich, If I, I have a favorite restaurant for everything. So for me, if I want soul food or pulled pork, I go right across the street to Kelsey and Kim on Melrose Avenue. Absolutely the best. And I was a judge this past summer for the bar- National Barbecue Cook-Off in Wildwood, and I do have to say that uh, – Kelsey was pretty much better than anything I tasted wow. down there. It, it, let me ask you this hypothetical situation. Let's say you're judging that pulled pork uh, competition next year, and one of the participants in the pulled pork competition is Rudy Giuliani. Would you storm off and, and, and refuse to be on a pulled pork stage with Rudy Giuliani? 
No, and I would I would. <laughs> oh, by the way, the name of that restaurant is Good Dog. I just looked. Oh, it Good up. Dog. Good Dog. That's going to be opening up. Yeah. Uh, no, I I wouldn't storm off. I wouldn't storm off if uh, uh, if. Neil Young came up to me. I saw Neil Young in 1968 at the Electric Factory in Philadelphia. Well, and, um, you know, Rita Cosby was saying how you took her to uh, the Irish pub. I've gone to the Irish pub with you as well. And it's like, um, I tell you, it's like going to Yankee Stadium with with Mickey Mantle. The people start genuflecting (laughs) when you walk into the Irish pub with Mark Berman. So uh, it is interesting. I was glad to see you at New Year's Eve Eve, uh, this past year, Mark. What would how would you uh, qualify your experience? How would you describe your experience at New Year's Eve Eve, having been there and covered the the countdown at midnight? Okay, I'm going to say it. Atlantic City is a carnival that never left. As a kid, your mom and dad would take you to the carnival. You'd go see all the freaks in the freak show, and then it would leave. Take all the money from the city with them, and they'd go. Atlantic City is a carnival that never left. The people got off the train, they never left. That's our locals here. You can include me in that if you want. You bring your listeners down, and such characters and great people. I love meeting the people you brought down New Year's Eve Eve up at View. And by the way, when you come to Atlantic City, you must go up to View because VUE gives you the best VIEW. It's amazing. So bring your camera. Your camera will need a vacation here in Atlantic City. Well, Mark, uh, it is always a thrill to talk with you. I want to encourage everybody to check out your podcast and go to Mark Berman. That's M-A-R-C, Berman.com. Here's some of the great interviews of of all time with every manner of public persona. Mark, uh, let's do this again soon. I'll see you next time I'm down there. Excellent. Thanks for having me on, Frankie, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The great Cindy Lauper singing Time After Time. Uh, you can give me a call. Any subject is fair game. No more guests for the rest of the show, so it's just you and me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I uh, got an email here. A person writes, hey, Frank, a recent caller, Michael, I think from Manhattan. Oh, no, the subject is, was that Woody? Hey, Frank, a recent caller, Michael, I think from Manhattan, sounded an awful lot like Woody Allen. That would be very cool if Woody Allen was a listener. I suppose he's got nothing better to do these days. I believe he was on around 315, 320 talking salaries. You know, I actually do think that that was Woody Allen. I didn't want to embarrass him. But we have all sorts of celebrities that call into this show, uh, sometimes using pseudonyms. So uh, that probably was Woody Allen. But you never know who you'll hear on this show. Sometimes Bernard Getz calls in. 
you may hear Jay Diamond doing an assumed voice. Jay asked me a while ago, he said, I will call in, but if you know it's me, you have to promise that you are not going to say that it's me. And I have kept that promise. So uh, Woody Allen's new movie, by the way, I have not seen it, but his new movie, um, Rifkin's Festival, is a, uh, financially anyway, I haven't seen the film, it's a total bomb. It grossed just just $24,000 at the box office. And they're saying that this is due to renewed scrutiny over the sexual abuse allegations. It was released last weekend in 26 theaters. I'm wondering if it's available, because I want to watch it. Um, I'm wondering if it's available on demand as well on uh, any of the streaming platforms. I don't know. A couple of other quick items. I still cannot figure out who sent us uh, to our home a um, wonderful collection of New York Mets outfits. I thought it might have been my cousin Jason, but it wasn't. So somebody sent us these two great Met outfits for little Carmine, and I we don't know who it was. And then lo and behold, yesterday, so, uh, arrived here at the radio station, someone sent me a two-way radio. This is really cool. Now, I've never really... I haven't used a two-way radio in years. I think a two-way radio is basically a CB radio. And uh, Ryan, our telephone talent coordinator, was kind enough to uh, put this together. It's also an FM radio station, an FM radio. So it's really cool. You know, you hear it. And this is the this two-way channel. And I guess nobody's really communicating now. But it is interesting. And, uh, you know, if you have... Interesting strategies for picking up good stuff on a two-way radio. Give me, uh, shoot me an email, and then I'll, I want to check out, you know, some of these things. And uh, if you're broadcasting on a certain channel or, or whatever, let me know. Maybe I'll start doing some, you know, because there have been days when I've said that that you know, four hours is just not enough. So I'd be curious if if uh, maybe I'll start broadcasting on. CB radio as well. I'm not sure if a CB is technically the same thing as a two-way radio. I think it is. But this is really cool. I appreciate this. Whoever sent this to me, thank you. There was no note in it. So I don't know uh, I don't know who sent this to me, but please let me know so that I could send you a proper thank you. 800-848-WABC is our telephone number. That's 800 Two two. Let me say hello to Sky in West Texas. Hello, Sky. Good morning, sir. Um, I listen to you quite frequently here in Texas. Oh, thanks. I'm a former, you, I'm a former New Yorker. Wonderful. Do you listen on the York. internet? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, cool. All right. Well, what's on your mind uh, today, Sky? Well, I know that you're into uh, films and movies, and there's a great movie I saw on Turner Classic uh, Movies a long time ago. It's called Gabriel Over the White House. Have oh, you heard of it? I don't think so. Tell me about it. It's a black and white uh, film, and it's about the, the president and uh, of the United States and things that he's going through at the time of his um, time in the White House. Anyway, I think that you really would like it. Gabriel Over the White House. I'll check it out. Film. I'll check it out. All Gabriel right. Over the White House. Anybody in it that I uh, that I should know, that I, that I would know? I can't. I'm in bed right now. I, I hear you. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Uh, your recommendation is good enough for me, Sky. 
I think you'll like it. You have a great uh, evening and morning, and you're doing a great job. And I, like I said, I'm a former New Yorker, born in South Jamaica, Queens, and I lived in a 103 precinct. And I want you to have a great day. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking up this film, William, uh, Gabriel of the White House. It was produced. You know who produced it? Uh, William Randolph Hearst, actually. It's from 1933. And uh, it stars Walter Houston, or as we New Yorkers call him, Walter Houston. Let me say hello. Well, you know, I don't want to rush through any more calls here. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you in just a minute. And uh, those of you that want to be heard from, give me a call, 800-848-9222. And for heaven's sake, whoever sent me this two-way radio, please email me and let me know so I can thank you. And uh, for everybody, anybody else that has good, you know, anything, any fun tips for what I can do with this two-way radio, sh- shoot me an email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Your calls in just a moment. Until next hour, your influence counts. So you it. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'll get to your calls in just a moment. But um, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> One of the things that um, you know, I'm obviously interested in, as you could tell by my less than impressive physique, is is food, right? And I've never really have gotten that into condiments. I don't use salt. I do like pepper. I do like a little spice. And maybe, you know, usually around Lent, I go into a I, I, I go into a really strict diet because, you know, I'm not drinking alcohol. So I, I sort of make that my time to abstain from everything. I stay away from carbs, zero sugar, try, avoid fat, uh, try to avoid cooking with oil. And that's my opportunity to sort of slim down for, for spring. Then... That is the one time a year that I do tend to use one particular condiment. That is hot sauce. And evidently, hot sauce is seeing a huge resurgence right now. Now, you might know McCormick for the red-capped bottles that are in your spice rack. And uh, according to Bloomberg, McCormick is America's favorite spice maker, and they have been busy expanding into a new spicy area. That area is hot sauce. Now, this company, 
McCormick. It's been around since 1889. It was started by Willoughby McCormick, and they started out by making root beer and fruit syrups. From there, a series of acquisitions made the company a major player in the global spice trade right after the Depression. And they continued to fuel expansion through acquisition. They scooped up Old Bay for $12.5 million in 1990. They scooped up Lorries for $604 million in 2008. In 2015, leadership of this company decided to push into new markets, kicking off a saucy acquisition spree that included Stubbs Barbecue Sauce in 2015, $100 million. Frank's Red Hot and French's Mustard, or listen to this, $4.2 billion in 2017. And uh, Cholula for $800 million in 2020. Now, McCormick believes that hot sauce is the ketchup of the next generation. And the key to, their key, to wresting the condiment crown from the Kraft Heinz company. Now, according to the Euromonitor International, they're reporting that the ketchup market is still $2 billion larger than the market for chili sauces. Now, McCormick points to two factors that bode well for the future of hot sauce. Um, Number one is the increased popularity of Mexican cuisine and other international flavors. Number two is cultural relevance through shows like Hot Ones in an interview series on YouTube where guests answer questions over wings. What do you think? Will hot sauce be the new catsup? 800-848-WABC. Make no mistake, though, right now, ketchup is far and away the biggest condiment in America. It's number one. I don't like ketchup. I don't use ketchup. My wife puts it on her eggs once in a while. And, uh, I mean, I've had ketchup, but it doesn't do much for me. Too sweet. But um, once in a while, I'll squirt a little bit on some cottage cheese. But I put some pepper on there, too. That's what Nixon used to do. But I still, I'd rather have just the cottage cheese plain. You know, people love ketchup. So you might be surprised because a lot of folks thought salsa was the number one condiment in the country. Certainly, I think Jerry and George felt that way. Why don't they have salsa on the table? What do you need salsa for? Salsa is now the number one condiment in America. Do you know why? Because people like to say salsa. (laughs) Excuse me, do you have any salsa? We need more salsa. Where's the salsa? No salsa. It must be impossible for a Spanish person to order salsa and not get salsa. I wanted salsa, not salsa. Don't you know the difference between salsa and salsa? You have the salsa after the salsa. (laughs) So it is not uh, salsa. It is still ketchup. But hot sauce, according to McCormick's, they they think that uh, they are going to go for the crown here. I think there are – look, I have noticed a lot of people, a lot of young people especially – they love hot sauce. They put it on a lot of things. I never really thought about hot sauce, but I've noticed that when I go to a diner or something or a restaurant, it's becoming more and more frequent that the hot sauce is on the table. 
So sometimes I'll squirt this hot sauce on whatever I'm eating, usually an omelet or something. I would never think to ask for it, but because it's there, I end up using it. It's one of those things where, you know, you use it because it's there. At least I do. That's the nature of my personality. But people ask for it. I see them asking for it all the time. I never use it at home. But uh, people do use it all the time. So the other reason, other than the the area, and look, maybe this is not a politically correct thing to say, and maybe that's why McCormick is not saying this publicly. The other reason that I think that McCormick may be onto something here in terms of uh, making hot sauce the new ketchup is because we've seen immigration trends, demographic trends, both legal and illegal. There is a tremendous migration of people from Mexico and Central America, and they come from a tradition where hot sauce is a very big part of their condiment diet. And the other thing is, do you remember what Marlena Shivo said on this program on August 13th? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. She said that her favorite candy was now hot tamales. Why? Because she had gotten COVID and she had lost her sense of taste. And it took her a while to get back her sense of taste. In fact, I still don't know that she has it back completely. And the hot tamale was such a spicy candy that there are all sorts of people that, excuse me, that um, that was the one candy that she could really taste. Now, with all sorts of people in this country getting COVID and getting over COVID, but dealing with the lingering side effect or lingering effect of loss of taste buds, I think... Hot sauce is going to be even more in demand. And uh, what what McCormick is saying, now they have a massive wholesale network. And I, I want to ask John Katsimatidis about this because I'm sure he deals in the grocery business with, with McCormick. He, McCormick believes that because of their wholesaler network, they are perfectly positioned to sell tons of hot sauce to a long list of restaurants and retailers. Case in point, they've already put Frank's Hot Sauce on the menu at Subway and at Chopped, a fast food, uh, you know, like a casual salad chain. But Kraft Heinz, which makes the ketchup, obviously, they are not going down without a fight. They are experimenting with a line of flavors that they're calling mashups that mix all sorts of classic flavors. They have a bluff, a buffer ranch, which blends buffalo and ranch dressing. They have a honey racha, which blends honey and sriracha. And they have a sweet chili, which blends ketchup and sweet chili sauce. So while the verdict is still out on the names, it is very clear that the battle for condiment supremacy will leave consumers with many new frontiers of flavors. So, 800-848-9222 is hot sauce, the new ketchup. I I just got a message here from uh, our producer, Molly. She says she gets designer hot sauces for her boyfriend 
for birthdays and Christmas. See that? That's what she gets him as a gift. I mean, is it any wonder that this fella hasn't proposed yet? Lo and behold, hot sauce is not necessarily the best pre-engagement gift. 800-848-WABC. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. Um, I I do know there's a huge amount of people who like this extremely spicy stuff. Now, I have two friends that... uh, I had one friend who's not so intelligent, so he would be constantly harassing the waiters, wait staff to keep bringing him wings that were hotter and hotter. Oh, well, that's just and irritating. It was annoying. Yeah, it sounds and annoying. My intelligent friend brought his own, like, stuff he would pepper on there. Now, I, I tasted a tiny bit of it, and it was basically like I'd been pepper sprayed. But then again, he's from San Fernando Valley, which has a huge, uh, you know, Mexican population. So that's probably where he got that taste from. I can't, uh, I'm I'm a big wuss with that. Ketchup, I have to have in the fridge. Really? What do you put uh, it on? Yeah. Uh, a burger, unless it's like a really phenomenal burger that you can eat. Uh, I have to have it on a burger, a uh, hot dog with mustard. Um, there's a myriad of things. But I did want to ask you a couple questions about Atlantic City. So I'll be heading down. Um, I haven't been there in probably 10 years, but I'm going down south and I'd like to go. Um, Do they still have, uh, I know you're not a big blackjack player, but maybe you have somebody listening who can answer it. Uh, Do they still have a five-card shoe? And then shuffle. Uh, you mean a five deck, five deck shoe? Five deck. Yeah, five uh, I mean, uh, it, it's the most of the casinos that I play at, it's either a five deck or a six deck. They have both. Okay, but they do take them out and actually shuffle them. Yeah, I mean, unlike Indian casinos, that it's just like an automatic the, loop. The, you know, there's both. They have the machines, the auto shuffle, and uh, right. there they have uh, they have the ones where the dealer. Man, uh, manually shuffles. You know, I'll be honest. I actually uh, prefer the auto shuffler because I don't necessarily like to wait uh, for the dealer to shuffle five or six decks because it does take a while. But it sounds like you prefer the manual shuffle. I do, and and it's kind of uh, you know rude to come in the middle of the shoe. Uh, so. Oh, I always wait. Um, Absolutely, I always wait. Yeah. Right, uh, and I and I I I believe in it's a lot comes down to the dealer, so I will check out the dealers for like an hour before I even sit at a table. Um, another question I had was, do you know any good nice uh, hotels, casinos that accept pets? Uh, Harris accepts pets, and um, really? yeah, they do, and. It's um it's not a casino, but it is a hotel, and it is very conveniently located to two next to two casinos. I believe the Showboat still accepts pets. Beautiful. Yeah. So the Showboat, so, the Showboat yeah. is right next to the Hard Rock. It's also right next to the Ocean. So those are two great properties to play at. Uh, but they accept pets. But if you want a casino hotel, 
that accepts uh, pets. Uh, Harris also mm-hmm. accepts pets. I think um, that the Water Club at Borgata also accepts pets. I, I, unless they've changed their policy, I believe the Water Club also expe- accepts pets. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good time, Corey. Send me a postcard and call me and let me know how you do. I will. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Will hot sauce be the new ketchup? 800-848-9222. You know who was advocating, excuse me, who was advertising on this show for a while? And maybe they, they I think they still listen. They're welcome to call in if they do. The guys that do, that had the Moe's hot sauce. Remember those commercials where Chris Libertini, our production director, would scream out fire repeatedly in the middle of these commercials? I mean, that's a commercial that certainly got your attention. They sent me some of their hot sauce, and they had like three or four different versions of it. And it was quite good. I like the green one, but they had this this insanely hot uh, sauce. They had this one sauce. I don't remember which kind it was, and please, you know, if they're listening, call in. They had this one sauce that was so hot. I think you actually had to be a superhero to be able to eat it and put it on anything and eat it. It actually burned through any sort of a food. It it, it would steam when you drop it on something. It would sizzle when you'd put it on food. That's how hot it was. It was really, really wild. But it was fun to try once in a while. But you got to use it in moderation. That's the key. got to use it in moderation. Is hot sauce, will hot sauce be the new ketchup? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello. Oh, yeah. I love those Moe's uh, commercials. They were did, great. Did uh, you try the sauce? I don't, even like, I don't even like hot sauce, and I was looking for it in the supermarket. See that? See that? It shows you effective advertising, Pamela. And the, the hot craze started even like 20 years ago in the high-end restaurants. They were mixing hot and spicy with desserts and everything, and... And actually, I started eating it a lot when COVID came around to kill germs and everything, and and um, starting to like it. Well, I, uh, I, you know, I didn't realize that it went back twenty years, but I, I'm not surprised to I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've started eating it, and I, sometimes I put it in the fridge and I forget it's there, <laughs> you know, because I'm not really really into it. But it's actually, I heard it's very good for you. Yeah, it certainly clears your sinuses. That is for sure. Yep. That's yep. for sure. So, uh, I'll have to run out and buy some tomorrow. Yeah, well, yeah, let me know. You should. I would love it if we could designate you, Pamela, just like Molly is our designated Girl Scout cookie expert. Um, I would love it if we could designate you as our, our designated hot sauce reviewer, since you are a recent convert to the so- the cause of hot sauce um, if you could try all these different types of hot sauce and report back to which is the which is the most flavorful, what's the most effective? Oh, well, that that'd be great. Yeah, and and you know, there's a, a hot sauce. I don't know. I thought it was Cholula's. I forgot the name. Uh, one of the shows, sixty minutes or something, did a whole documentary. It's the original hot sauce from Louisiana, where they actually grow the hot peppers. They did a whole series, and I can't remember the name. I thought it was Cholula, but maybe not. Uh, interesting. Um, I'll have to investigate that. Yes, investigate and report back. That one. Yeah, okay. let us know. Thank you. I, I, there was one hot sauce where supposedly the, again, all of my knowledge of a lot of things comes from Seinfeld, but there's one hot sauce that supposedly has a bottle where it looks like Charles Grodin, the person on the bottle. But uh, I don't know if that was just fictitious. Um, the minority leader of the New York City Council reaching out to me and saying, finally, someone 
is talking about what the issues that really matter. Catsup is terrible, awful. Well, thank you. Thank you, Minority Leader. This is the show where we cover the issues that need covering. 800-848-WABC. And uh, according to Molly, um, who, you know, is still researching a lot of Girl Scout cookie-related news, she says that crystal hot sauce is the hot sauce that she is talking about. So there you have it. Peter is in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Listen, um, you know that there are some shops popping up that exclusively sell hot sauce. They're little boutique shops. I first encountered one years and years ago in Key West, Florida. Um, but now I've, I've seen them in, in other places, and they are they're hot sauce shops. They have hundreds of different brands of hot sauce, and that's basically, along with some hot sauce accessories, that's, uh, that's all they sell. Well, I had no idea that that I, I, until I read about this yesterday. I mean, I'd noticed anecdotally that the uh, you know more and more people seem to be using hot sauce, but I had no idea that this was exploding in the manner that it is. And apparently, uh, you know, there's enough business that you can sustain a small shop, a small business, just selling hot sauce. But there's a caveat. There's a caveat. Uh, years ago, I had uh, some prostate issues, and uh, the uh, urologist did say, stay off hot sauce. It will, you know, exacerbate it. It will irritate things, you know. So, really? Yeah. You got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know, Peter. That's a word to the wise. Do you think hot sauce yeah. will ever be the new ketchup? I don't know. I'm, I'm a... I'm a ketchup aficionado. Uh, I, I I put it on everything. Sometimes I'll, uh, and, and, and this may sound disgusting to some people, but sometimes I will even uh, supplement my tomato sauce uh, in my spaghetti by adding a little ketchup. Uh, I, I, I love ketchup. Real? I wow. Love ketchup. Okay. All right. Um, not me. Not me. I don't. Um, my wife does. She puts it on eggs. We had that other guy who said he puts it on hamburgers. What about you, Matt? I, I feel like you have either... Strong feelings, one way or another, on this. I am a ketchup fiend. You are. See, I knew it. You, you everything. You, you have the personality type. Everything: for it. burgers, hot dogs, chicken, pork chops. Doesn't matter what it is. I would put ketchup on it. I know she didn't mention uh, French fried potatoes. Oh, French fried, of course. That's like a given. Um, a given. Hot sauce. I'm not so crazy about hot sauce. So I you, like a mild. Like I don't like it burning my mouth because that's all you end up tasting. Like right. you were saying about. Uh, Marie, how she just felt the hot, uh, right? The, from hot, the hot tamales. tamales, right? Yeah. When I lost my sense of taste, I had something that was like mildly hot, and all you feel is the hot. You don't taste anything. You just feel the burning sensation. Yeah, that's 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 true. But um, ketchup. See, I feel that way with ketchup. I feel when I put ketchup on stuff, that that I, all I taste is ketchup. Well, it depends how much you put on. You don't want to put too much. But I put ketchup on eggs. Not anymore. I, as, as a kid, I put ketchup on eggs. Do you put ketchup on broccoli? No. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut? Put ketchup on sauerkraut? I'm asking. You're the guy. You're the ketchup king here. You, you're put, self-proclaimed. Uh, I put ketchup on everything. I would put ketchup on a hot dog with sauerkraut. Okay. Well, how about... Uh, not just sauerkraut. How about uh, chickpeas? I don't eat chickpeas. 
You don't, I don't even know. I even know what a chickpea looks. What like. do you mean you don't know what a chickpea looks What's like? What's a chickpea? Where were you raised? What am I in North Carolina? Chickpeas? <laughs> chickpea? Or, or sometimes they're called garbanzo beans. Does that make you feel any better? Garbanzo beans. Yeah, That's, same thing. Well, that would be a. We put it like salsa on garbanzo beans. Well, I, I would, but well, I'm not the guy that's bragging. Salsa. I don't eat salsa either. <laughs> How about pancakes? You put ketchup on pancakes? No, syrup. You gotta put, you know, right. I don't put ketchup on so you, you don't put, I don't put ketchup on everything. Well, I, but every protein that you would eat for dinner, I would put ketchup on. How about fish? Uh, yeah. You put ketchup I, on I fish? I put ketchup on fish. What kind of fish? Like if you eat seafood, instead of using the, uh, like they give you that tomato hot, whatever that sauce is. Whatever it's called, that you dip in like a shrimp. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, that is that's cocktail sauce. That is yeah, basically ketchup. Sauce. Yeah, I would just use regular. That's true. Ketchup. I do use that actually uh, once in a while. Yeah, that's true. All right, but uh, what about like a like a grilled salmon? Would you put a ketchup on grilled salmon? No, I'd probably eat it plain. If I eat eat a plain, that at all. How about French toast? No, but like a grilled cheese. Grilled just, cheese. I put ketchup on. This conversation is nauseating. You, so you don't eat ketchup either, Molly. No, no ketchup in my book. French fries, yes. French fries, yes. But I, I draw the line. All right. Well, um, and so tell me about some of these designer hot sauces you've purchased for your, your boyfriend. So I, I say designer, but it's more like uh, small businesses, really. Um, it would be, uh, so I've had a, a blueberry habanero oh, hot sauce. That actually sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, I actually have a friend who makes hot sauce for like bands and stuff. So like it's it's not just it's so much of a trend that people aren't just buying hot sauce and eating it. People are putting their brand on other people's hot sauce oh, and then reselling it. Well, that's interesting. Well, okay. so. you know, I'd love to know what the next big thing is going to be. Like, you know, it's always easy to tell what the what yesterday's food du jour was. Uh, it's always easy. It's not so easy to tell what tomorrow's is. What's going to be the next thing? Who would have predicted this hot sauce craze? Um, you got me. I'm hoping it's two-way radio because some lucky, some listener just sent me this uh, very nice two-way radio, which I can't wait to try. 800-848-WABC. Howard is in Elmhurst. Hello. Hi. How are you, Frank? Um, I'm an anti-hot sauce person. I never use hot sauce. I throw it out when I get it from Thai food and... Uh, with pot thai, I just get rid of it right away. I think too many chefs are using it, and it it sort of takes away from the taste of food. Well, I, I guess couldn't you say that? Because that's the way I feel about catsup. Couldn't you say that about any condiment, though? Really, if you overdo it, that it it you know salt, uh, pepper, catsup, mustard, hot sauce. Uh, couldn't you say that about anything if you use too much of it? That's true. That's true. But it's still, I mean, people, ha- when people, they think it has a wonderful taste and they, they just uh, overdo it automatically. That's true. That's true. Thank you very much, Howard. Karen is in Woodbridge. Hello, Karen. Hello, Frank. How are you? I- I'm doing um, wonderfully. Thank you. Great. And and the baby? He's doing great. He uh, he had a little bit of a, a rough day uh, yesterday because uh, he got all he, he got all his shots, so he was a little lethargic. But uh, aside from that, he's uh, he's doing great. He's now twelve pounds, in spite of what Curtis Lewa is claiming. <laughs> I, I I never believed uh, Curtis. That, that is a, that is a good philosophy in general. That is a sound philosophy. <laughs> okay. 
I, what I wanted to um, mention was I think over the years ketchup has become too sweet. I think they've uh, begun uh, or they began at some point adding more sugar to it. It's really very sweet. And it's not like when I was a kid. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, the same age as Curtis, and I don't. I think ketchup has become very sweet. So what I prefer is hamburger relish. Uh, they, oh. they make that, and it's in the same aisle as all the other condiments. And then there's also hot dog relish, um, if you just prefer that to uh, plain mustard. Is there a big or, difference or, between hamburger relish and hot dog relish? Oh, yes. The one, the one is yellow. Uh, it is, you know, a mustard color. And uh, the hamburger relish is red. I didn't know that. Uh, red. That, that's, yes, that's and interesting. That, that's really, um, I, I prefer that um, on hamburgers or, you know, uh, things of that sort to the ketchup because ketchup just seems to have become too sweet. Interesting. Um, but, interesting. Uh, but where are you on, where are you on hot sauce, though? Do you think that has changed? Oh, on hot sauce. It, no, no, I think, well, I, I, there, there are some that are hotter than others, uh, but uh, I guess I'm a Tabasco person. Uh, well, that, that is hot sauce. Yeah, yes, and and, and that's from Louisiana, right? I I think I so. I think so. I'm not sure. Yes. that's where they grow the um the, those uh, particular hot peppers is uh, in uh, Louisiana. Okay, uh, they did. I, I saw a documentary on it one time. All right, good to know. Thank you, Karen. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Big Frank, and before we get to the meat and potatoes, Jay Diamond would have me on his show for an hour, two hours, three hours when he was on EBD. First of all, the girl is right to last call. The ketchup is red sugar, and they put more sugar and stuff to get you addicted to it. Oh, sure. One, Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things they're doing. It. I mean, hot sauce. I mean, the, the kids are throwing bacon on ice cream a few years ago. So these things are fads. The American people, we know are trendy people. I'm in the place ordering scrambled eggs for breakfast, and the guy's asking me if I want jalapeno peppers on them, like at 7 o'clock in the morning. I said, listen, dude, there's certain things you don't eat in the morning, and we know that. There's certain things you do not eat in the morning. Hot peppers is one of them. People do get addicted to it, but I always felt that you've got to dump a lot of this stuff on the food. The food is either not cooked good or it isn't fresh. That's why a lot of places you know you don't order certain things. You don't order seafood in diners. You don't order Italian food in diners. And also, well, so wait, wait. So what you're saying, Steve, is they they use uh, the the excess condiment, excessive condiments, to cover for the fact that the food isn't the freshest. Exactly. I, I always call it camouflage. A lot of times, that's why I wouldn't order tuna fish in a lot of places because they'll start throwing the mayonnaise in there to kind of cover up that maybe that, it's a, you, a day or two too old. Well, you know, you, that is such a good point. I'm going to let you re- remark about whatever else you wanted to talk about. But I do want to mention that back in the, the 14th and 15th century, before refrigeration was big, uh, we're actually really before refrigeration existed, all these European countries were dealing with exactly what Steve is describing, that they were dealing with food that was rotting, food that was spoiling, and that's why there was such a demand for spices for two reasons. One, you throw this salt on food, and that, has, that was a way of preserving the food and keeping it from rotting. But two, with people... Faced with eating rotting food or starving, what do you do? You eat the rotting food. And so to make the rotting food a little bit more palatable, they would dump all sorts of spices on this rotting food. And that was one of the key motivators as to why Christopher Columbus was able to get funding 
from Spain for his trip to what, what he thought was India, but ultimately turned out to be North America because he said they were going to be able to get a lot of spices from India. Spices were huge in the 14th and 15th century, precisely because of the diner-related issues that Steve was talking about. Now, there are not as many diners around uh, in New York, for instance, these days, as there were 20 years ago. Probably still more diners now than there was in 1492, but the spicing issue was the same. Go ahead, Steve. What else do you want to say? Things like the cooking channel. I also would use the word camouflage and masking the food in these places. Do we know, Tom from the Bronx, do we know what his pizza, his, his favorite pizza place is? I mean, he looks like a White Castle guy to me, but do, did we ever tell us that? Because I know you always do these investigations with the best pizzas and where you should have pizza. But also, getting back to the food now, um, you got to really read the labels when you're in the restaurant. Most people don't do that. I'm a, I mean, I could tell you some great stories when I was younger, eating out in diners and restaurants and some of the things that went on in there. One time they tried to serve me and a friend of mine uh, bad food, and, you know, World War Three almost broke out. But the thing is, one time we're about 14, 15 years old, folks, we're in a diner, and this you could say this big, heavy set guy was eating a big, giant, like, ice cream sundae and stuff. And, like, the kids were laughing and everything. And I said, you know what? That dude over there is enjoying himself. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Al is in Manhattan. Hello. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, listen, um, you know, in the old days, how they paid the Roman uh, centurions? I don't. When ketchup? No, but they would get, like, a little silver, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then they all would get what they call, like when you speak, you call, like for money, they call that honorium. Well, back in that day, they would say, I need my salarium. And salarium came from sal, and sal was salt. And they used that salt to preserve everything in Roman times, fish and meat. And they figured out, hey, this stuff lasts six months if I put salt on it. So salarium got corrupted to become salary. So that's today we get that salary. That is um, wild. I didn't know that. Yeah, you ever heard of something called ponzu? Ponzu sauce. Yes, yeah, I've, I've had ponzu sauce. I like ponzu uh, sauce. So then you know, I was going to say that's a, that's a great thing to should supplant Tabasco. Tabasco is the original hot sauce. I mean, that's the one from the Mikahini, I believe, and just that's golden. Listen, if you ever go out to out, out to the island, I know you go there once in a while. You stop at exit fifty-two. They got a New York State uh, rest area, and you go in there. They got every kind of thing from upstate New York jams and jellies and ice cream and hot sauces you know you can pick up a nice little gift there it's a really nice uh rest area that's the only one they have on long island that's at 52 you interesting know, i'll check uh, it out i'll check it out thank you Al. hey we're gonna do the thousand dollar minute next we're not gonna give away any hot sauce but something that's almost as good as hot sauce we're gonna give away a thousand dollars if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds all you have to do is be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then you'll have the opportunity to try and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. You can go ahead and try and call right now. This is The Other Side of Midnight, the $1,000 Minute, straight ahead. WABC.
Hot stuff indeed. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, by the way, uh, according to Ryan, our telephone talent coordinator, Tom from the Bronx, one of the world-famous talk radio callers for, I think, the last 40 years or so, he puts hot sauce on his pizza. Not something I would do, but it is something that, uh, you know, he does. So th- I wanna, that caller who called from Texas, Sky, he recommended this film, Gabriel Over the White House, and I'm reading all about it. The film sounds great. And so I go to Netflix to see if it's available on DVD. Not on Netflix, not on DVD. I don't know what, where I can see this film. I really want to see this now. Uh, and you know what? It is available on VHS. So this is yet another title, not available on DVD, but is available on VHS. And again, my wife has exercised, speaking of presidential powers, her household veto power to prevent me from putting a VHS library in front of our home. But I'm hoping to work with Minority Leader Borelli on this to get these free blockbuster VHS libraries all over New York City. Because we have one on Long Island. Donna from Huntington was kind enough to send in photos of one, and it's on the Facebook group. And uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You can see the, the, the photos of it. But I'm going to, this weekend, that's on my list, I'm going to install a VHS player and a VCR on my television. I got a special wire to allow me to hook it up, and I'm going to get a hold of this film, Gabriel Over the White House. Looks great. All right, without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Ah, yes, thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Elisa, from California. Hello, Elisa. Hello. Uh, Elisa, what, uh, what, what, what causes you to stumble upon our fine radio station all the way there in the Golden State? Because uh, California radio sucks. All right. Well, good. Good. We're happy to be the beneficiary of that. How did you discover us, Elisa? Well, I love radio, so I was just searching around for some good talk and found you. Well, you found us when you couldn't find any good talk. You settled on us. That's right. There you go. All right. All right. Um, Have you heard this particular contest before? Absolutely. Okay, so you're you know your stuff here. You know what you're you're in for. Kinda, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, any questions before we get started? <laughs> what are the answers? Well, that one I can't tell you. Um, it, yeah, I can tell you later. All right. Where, where in California are you, by the way, Elisa? Northridge. Northridge. Ah, Northridge. Not sure where that is, but it sounds like a great place to live. All right. You ready to go? Yes. Okay. What radio station is this? <laughs> what holiday do you go trick-or-treating on? Halloween. What is the capital of Russia? Uh, it is Moscow. In Little Red Riding Hood, who does the Big Bad Wolf dress up as? Uh, her grandma. What TV sitcom featured Steve Carell as wacky paper company manager Michael Scott? 
um, the office. What diet soda was discontinued by Coca-Cola in 2020 after 57 years? Um, Tap. When Michael Jordan played for the Bulls, how many championships did he win? Uh, um, six. Which show is the highest grossing production on Broadway ever? Uh, cat. Uh, unfortunately, that is incorrect. You did very well. Though um, you did uh, really, really, really very well. Uh, the correct answer there was The Lion King. But you got seven right there, uh, Elisa. Very impressive. We need your brains here in New York. You got to come back here. <laughs> you know what it is? I think maybe because it's a little earlier there. Maybe that's why you, you're you a little bit better rested and the brain is a little bit better rested than the New York participants of this game. All right. Well, we're going to send you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap. Uh, we hope you will wear it with pride and uh, send us a photo of you wearing it, okay? Sure. Uh, why are you laughing? I'm not even making jokes. <laughs> why are you laughing? You're making me laugh. Well, I got eight right. Don't I get more than a half? Well, you got seven correct. But unfortunately, how many shows? How many shows are on Broadway? How many? I need a fact checker. I need a fact checker for the highest grossing show. All right. Well, so you want to appeal the decision? I'd like to appeal. All right. Well, I, come on. All right. Hat, well, are we gonna hat from California? Yeah. Well, Alisa, I mean, uh, I'm working hard here. Alisa, uh, so am I. Believe me, we gave away a thousand dollars twice in the last two weeks. They they were ready to take that out of my uh, salary. Alisa, we will allow you. Uh, can we double check? Let's fact check the answer to this question, and we're gonna have Alisa bet her hat on this, right? So if Alisa's wrong, then we will give her nothing. But if Elise is right, then we'll give her we'll give her we'll give her a hundred bucks because that was the John Katzenmatidi solution to this contest. He said um, if it's if you get eight right, you get a hundred bucks. You get nine right, I think it's two fifty, and you get ten right, a thousand. That's the word from El Jefe himself, uh, John Katzenmatidi. So we're gonna this is the appellate process because Elisa couldn't be satisfied with a very very nice nineteen dollar hat. Uh, what do we have for highest Matt? grossing? The Lion King. The Lion King. One point six eight billion. And what's cats? Is there? Is there? Do we cats, have a number for cats? Let me see if cats is even on the list. It's yeah. not in the top eight. And not in the top eight. <laughs> and Elisa is is challenging. She's scoffing at my. Let me see where cat. cats even comes in. Let's see. I'm yeah. going down the list. Uh, Les Mis is number 12. Beauty and the Beast, 11. Cats is number 10. 10. But $432 million. These Californians. Oh, right. You know what? Take Elisa's information anyway, <laughs> even though I don't want to be cold-hearted. We'll send her something. Maybe not something yeah. as good as a cap. But what do we have? What's like a lower tier? Send her a keychain or something. Um, or I don't know. Send her, uh, I don't know. There's, uh, send her one of, um, I don't know. Send her something. Send her one of Sid Rosenberg's empty vitamin bottles. Senator, that that's a nice piece of radio memorabilia. Uh, according to Sarah, who is <laughs> who is listening in the hospital right now as she's recovering from surgery and saying this show really buoys her spirits. She is saying that uh, the community that uh, Elisa lives in is a suburb of Los Angeles. All right, well, good for uh, good for it. Uh, that is where my brother-in-law lives, Los Angeles. Uh, well, in nearby Los Angeles, he's a member of the. LAPD, where he does a fine, fine job. All right. 
Uh, well, at least that Elisa made it interesting, and she did very well, even if she was not satisfied with my answer of uh, of uh, the Lion King. By the way, I want to thank I think it was Carl, the listener who sent us a photograph of him wearing the cap uh, because, I mean, he's a good sport and is good enough to wear the cap, take a photo, and send us the the picture of it. If you do that same thing, whether you buy the cap at WABCRadioStore.com, where we have a ton of great merchandise, uh, we showed the pictures yesterday of my mom's dog and her longtime companion, Jim, wearing the brand-new The Other Side of Midnight shirts, designed by Molly, but whatever you end up wearing from our show, send us the photo so we can share it on social media and we'll, uh, you know, this way people see how it looks and get people excited about buying it. You can buy all that stuff at WABCRadioStore.com. There's some great merchandise on there and uh, really it is a great gift for somebody as well. Uh, WABCRadioStore.com. That's uh, WABCRadioStore.com. And if you use the code FRANK15, you can enjoy a uh, 15% discount at the WABC Radio Store. Even if you don't want to buy my stuff, you can buy the, um, you know, you could buy Rita Cosby's stuff. You could buy Cousin Brucey's stuff. But you use my promo code, Frank15, and you'll save some money. And I don't get anything from it in terms of money, but at least internally I'll get credit that people are using my promo code. By the way, speaking of, you know, what goes on here, Dan Herschel is uh, our chief engineer and a great guy and a big listener to the show. And you know what I didn't realize um, is Dan Herschel is actually the voice of evil baby Carmine. Some people thought it was me. I thought it was Chris Libertini. It's Dan Herschel, who's the voice of Evil Baby Carmine. Still waiting for some new Evil Baby Carmine liners. So on November 19th, Dan Herschel sends out an email uh, saying, um, you know, what's happening in the engineering department. And he goes on and on. And he says, um, you know, we're, we're expanding and our technical operations are growing. He says, on Monday, November 22nd, Rachel Haggerty will join the Red Apple Media engineering team as assistant chief engineer. And then he goes on and gives a little mini bio of Rachel Haggerty. Now, um, I then do what I try to always do when there's a new member of the staff that joins. And a day or two after this email was sent out, Actually, was it a day or two? No, it was, uh, it, yeah, a day or two. I send an email to Rachel Haggerty saying, welcome aboard, Rachel. I'll look forward to meeting you in person. I'm the overnight host, so I'm sure you'll be hearing from me in the middle of the night often. Best of luck to you. Let me know if you have any questions or if there's anything that I can do to help with your transition. I thought that was a very nice welcome email. And I'm known for my welcome emails. That was one of the shorter ones. And then... Pretty much I didn't think about it again. And then, lo and behold, a week or two ago, there's a technical question about connecting with one of the guests on Skype or Zoom. And Rachel Haggerty, I noticed, is copied on this email. And she responds. She replies all. And she's marginally helpful with whatever technical information that she was giving. And then I say, wait a minute. 
is that that woman who never responded to my initial welcome email? And sure enough, I go back and check my records. This woman, it's now January. This woman, who I'm sure is a great assistant chief engineer, because Dan wouldn't keep her around if she wasn't. This woman never responded to my thank you email. Now, I would have forgotten about it had I not been copied on you know this, this other email chain. But I was a little insulted there, I have to tell you. <gasps> I mean, not that insulted. But uh, I do feel like she at least should have sent me a response. Thanks. Hey. Ha ha. Hope to see you. Whatever. Now, you always have to be nice to the engineers. Even when the engineers are not that nice, because you're so dependent upon them for fixing things when there's an emergency, you have to always be super nice to them. But, you know, I'm a little, I feel like I'm getting off on the wrong start here with this woman who can't even be bothered to send me a response to this email. Matt, am I off base here? Have you met this person? I have. It, she, Rachel's been very helpful but, with, uh, with, uh, our, with our connecting. Clearly not Skype. that responsive in terms of saying thank you for the nice welcome email. Yeah, I guess you should say thank you. Yeah, yeah. Say I look forward to meeting you too. Yeah, I would, or something. Since we may be bothering her in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. For problems. You think there's something. I don't know. Maybe I ask too much. Maybe I expect too much of people. But... Um, I'll tell you, Ju- Rachel, I have a feeling, just like the doorman of our building that is not named Omar, will not be getting a gratuity from me this year. And that's the truth. 800-848-WABC. We are going to do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. Be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. That's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four, five open lines straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Hey folks, Sid here. 40 days up to 40 pounds. Say it with me. 40 days up to 40 pounds with NJ Diet. It only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds. That's my guy, Arthur Turovitz. Since NJ Diet is a contractually guaranteed money back program, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. NJ Diet is 100% tailored to you by using bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then, NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen. going to help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life. 40 days up to 40 pounds can be a real thing, unlike other weight loss systems. NJ Diet is all natural, no shots, no hormones, no prepackaged foods, and no surgery. With offices throughout the tri-state area or from home with live online video consultations. Start your new year off right. And call NJ Diet today, 855-5NJ-DIET, or go to njdiet.com. That's njdiet.com, 40 days, up to 40 pounds with NJ Diet. That's what everybody's talking about. Talking about Judge Janine Pirro. Sunday morning at 11. It's the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Sunday morning show. Judge Janine Pirro. On 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC.
Thank you, Andy B. You know, every day somebody comments on Facebook, "Hey Frank, I know you send your email. You said your email address a million times, but I didn't catch it. What is it? If you want to email me about anything, um, and we'll read your best and worst emails on Tuesday, Frank Morano. That's M O R A N O at wabcradio.com. I want to thank Joe Pirro who chose to email me uh, with uh, apparently I can purchase Gabriel over the White House." on DVD through Amazon. I'm going to buy it. Looks like a great picture. So it uh, certainly looks pretty good to me. We are also on the Facebook, and uh, you can uh, find me there at uh, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash Fan. One gentleman named Simon writes that uh, he listens all the time. I was just listening to your show about ketchup on chickpeas, Try mixing, listen to this, ketchup, mayo, hot sauce, and some minced onion with chickpeas. It's amazing. Now, I don't even really like ketchup. And and I'm kind of take or leave mayonnaise. That sounds great. I will try that. Um, and he uh, he writes that he's a police officer in New Jersey. And he makes and we make working the night shift so much better with your interesting topics. Well, thank you. That's awfully nice. Hopefully your life will be made better because you will be famous for 15 seconds by dialing 800-848-9222 because it's time for the other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Let us begin with Frank in Queens. Hello. Read the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg at TwistedJustice at CNN.com. Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg at TwistedJustice at CNN.com. Janine Pierce, an Arab criminal fraud. And so the nation near- Thank you, Frank. 800-848-9222. Anthony is in Astoria. Hello. Hello. This is Dr. Fauci. And for people who don't want to take the injection, I'm now putting the vaccine in the form of a beverage. And I'm calling it COVID Cola. You're welcome, America. <laughs> Neil on Staten Island, hello. Will the result of Biden sending troops over to Europe cause Putin to stop selling us oil and giving us uh, $40 a gallon gasoline? Kirk on Staten Island. Good morning, Frank. Uh, I just want to say I hate sore losers. The Lion King was the answer. Felicia needs to get over it. Yeah, I think you might be right. That's how those Californians are. Mike is in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. <clears throat> another bride, another groom, another sunny afternoon, another season, another, another reason, reason for making whoopee. Take it. A- 800-848-9222. Russ in White Plains. Hey, if Curtis doesn't put down the friskies and start advocating for partition walls on subway platforms, the provisional guardian angels are going to have to step in. <laughs> A guardian angel coup d'etat. Pete in Tribeca. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Mike on Staten Island. 
Hey, I think uh, Elise was on that Saturday night live skit, The Californians. And today is bacon, egg, and cheeseburger day at Dino and Son, Woodside. Oh, there you go. That's good to know. Mark is in Westchester. Yes, I want to give a shout-out to my main field supervisor, Robert Kerwick. Thank you for holding me down every day so I can listen to the Frank Morano show. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Jeffy is in Westchester. Jinsaki, Governor Hochul, and Coulter should spend two weeks in the Edenwall housing projects in the Bronx with Alvin Bragg. Meathead meets the uh, vegetable today, folks. That's cuckoo for cocoa puffs in the... Cheech is in Howard Beach. Hello. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. Anthony, where's the track the trailer with the aluminum? Clara in New Jersey. Hi, could you please put the pictures on um, uh, Murano Vision when you get a chance? I know you're busy with the baby. When you get a chance, don't forget. Absolutely. Jimmy's in the Bronx. Hello. There's more on, there's more on. And finally, uh, White Boy from the Bronx. Hello. Read the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted. Uh, it strikes me as good of a time as any to end this particular edition of 15 Seconds of Fame. Hey, I'll be back at 1 a.m. tomorrow. We may be here with Frankie Valley. We may not be. If we're not, then we'll do Ask Frank Anything, and we've got denunciations. Uh, if you want to stay in touch, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash moranofan, or you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. The WABC Early News with the